0: Warning, this podcast contains scenes of explicit nonsense and lore.
1: Previously on the Risen Devil Podcast.
2: It made the series feel so much bigger than than just a series of video games that we were all enjoying. It felt like they were literally building the same kind of detailed worlds that, you know, you get the likes of, you know, Tolkien creating for Middle-earth. It was written by um, Hiroki Kato, who directed Code Veronica and wrote Guidance, so you should know that, Nick. The What's Report 1 update is notable because there was a complete fan meltdown because they've used Operation Raccoon City uh, FMV footage to Um. sort of, you know, boost and update the presentation of it, causing some people within the community to say that this now canonises Operation Raccoon City.
3: And welcome to episode 73 of the Resident Evil podcast, more elaborate than Will Farmer's self-destruct system, but we do separate the wheat from the chaff. I am Nick, better known as Neptune, option two of the preferred way to die. Let's see who's joining us today. He's our regular streamer now with umbrella sunglasses. It's stars Tyrant. Hello. His country may be COVID free, but on the flip side, it's also Resident Evil movie free. Wait, it's Rombie. <laughs>
1: hello yeah that's true there is the movie's not releasing here and so i haven't seen it so when these guys want to go talk about it i'm gonna have to disappear for a little while
3: and finally he's been looking forward to this podcast for a while that is until i told him that the starlight was not designed by his namesake
0: it's george trevor hey hey hashtag Resident Evil Gaiden is canon.
3: Coming up on today's podcast, as George has alluded to, we are celebrating 20 glorious years of Resident Evil Gaiden. a hey, at last. Community has been badgering us and myself for to cover this game. and At last, we are. 20 years ago, Resident Evil Gaiden was released in the PAL regions first, actually. So we're going to have a look back as it's our last review of a unique entry into the Biohazard series. We're also going to be having a sub-discussion and a very quick look between myself and Stars Tyrant regarding Welcome to Raccoon City. Brief impressions because we are going to be doing a main podcast on Welcome to Raccoon City at a later date. Uh, so please bear with us. And um, Sony have forgotten that New Zealand exists, so not all of us have yet to see it. We then finish with Neptune's, not Batman's, biohazard quiz. Before all this though, we'll start with the news. <laughs> So first bit of news, Resident Evil Infinite Darkness is coming to Blu-ray and DVD. It comes
2: home, one might say.
3: It comes home, it does, it really does. 21st of December in the UK, although I have seen today that someone's been able to get a hold of copy, so there we go.
2: Yeah, there's been a few discussions on Twitter I see today about the making of. Apparently uh, Kobayashi gushes about Leon.
3: Does it? Well, that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. I have to be honest, I am delighted it's coming out on Blu-ray. I know it's not the best film in the world. And uh, if you listen back to our uh, podcast on it, we're all pretty uh, on it. But that being said, I hate things that are locked on streaming services and I'm a bit yeah. big advocate of physical media. I think you and I
2: probably more than well I know I know, I know Robert uh, does as well but you and I support physical media in a big way when you know something's tied to a streaming service and you can't add it to your shelf it you know it bothers us it bothers us on a level it does
3: the only disappointment is that it's not coming out on uh, 4k UHD which is a shame and I'll say that because the surround sound the kind of like Dolby Digital Plus that plays on Netflix it was a really good surround sound on it and it's a shame that it's only coming on Blu-ray because normally that doesn't mean it comes with Dolby Atmos. Atmos tends to be uh, exclusively to the UHD and I think that's a bit of a missed opportunity to get the, that full audio experience, especially as Vendetta's come out on 4K UHD. So that's my only gripe. But uh, yeah. yeah,
2: because of that, it becomes kind of one of those releases where, you know, a good majority of people, I imagine, will have 4K TVs that are invested or interested in the series like we are. So it just becomes a nice keepsake that you leave sealed on your shelf, and whenever you want to get around to watching it, you're just going to put the Netflix version on. So it's it's kind of a quirky release in that sense. But as a mm. collector, I don't think you can ignore it necessarily. You know,
3: you're going to buy it, Sean, even though you've really yeah, like it.
2: because you know, I've, I've got I've got Umbrella Core on my shelf for fuck's sake. I, <laughs> I went to the effort of buying the Asian release of Resident Evil Three Remake, a game I was was drunk to talk about just so I could reverse the cover and have Resident Evil Resistance on. My my shelf or biohazard resistance so you know we do this kind of shit as collectors
3: next bit of news is the Netflix live action TV show. That's the Wesker Twins TV show. they released a teaser showing the new Cerberus it just walks up to the camera. Basically, we've got a cool new kind of logo that says Resident Evil, uh, which I think looked quite cool. Rob, what did
1: you think? Uh, it's interesting. It was interesting timing to put that out, almost undermining the movie a little bit. I want to say like that was a very interesting choice from the company to do that. I saw there was a subtitle rumored or something. I didn't. Did somebody else see this? Uh, is Get that the it. Venus Venus
3: flight? Yeah, yeah. Tra- What's, what does that have to do with? That's, anything? I didn't that's the code. I think that's just the uh,
1: the code name for it. The shooting oh, the target. production yeah. shooting yeah. title, oh, yeah, okay, Blue so harvest,
3: if you will. But
1: yeah, I was wondering where the hell that came from because I was just like seeing it attached to post news posts. and I was like, I was thinking, was it the shooting title, or if it's just that it's been attached to it? So yeah, not a lot to go on really. It's a shot of a zombie dog and a and a title, which is interesting. But yeah, I thought the timing was almost self sabotaging as far as Constantin films would be concerned for putting undermining their own movie that Sony's just put out on their behalf. Mm.
3: Sean, any, any any comments on that?
2: I think it's the most disingenuous, genius, uh, sorry, disingenuous, most scandalous a- a aspect of fucking promotion. I think I've ever seen because without going into too much detail, like there are plot details that have come out about what the show is about and things like that. And it doesn't matter to me how good a zombie dog looks when you know the, uh, the, uh, avenue that the story is going to go down. It's the most disingenuous thing they could have shown as a first look because everyone's going to look at that and think, well, fucking hell that looks even better than the, the, the zombie dog that's in welcome to raccoon city they're onto a winner here
4: <laughs> and anybody
2: knows anything about the project or even maybe even has read the leaked script that's out out there would know yikes i think in, i think it's a very manipulative thing to show as your first hand let's say on the show because anyone's going to look at that and think you know that's actually a good-looking special effects because it is. We
3: shall see. Twenty twenty-two is the release date for this, so we'll um... not
2: far away from time of recording. So
3: no, no, I, I, I'm I'm not I'm not going to rush to see it, but I'm sure I will I will catch a glimpse. <laughs> last bit of kind of gaming news video game award news it, we are very much in award ceremonies so the, the the higher ups in video games get to glam up for the day and Resident Evil Village has done very well ladies uh, starting with the golden joysticks award it pretty much cleaned house uh, with it with Resident Evil Village winning the PlayStation game of the year best audio something I'd very much agree with and a video uh, I'm sorry, a, a voice acting performance award for Maggie Robertson who of course plays Lady Dimitrescu uh, she won that as a person award and then to top it all off the the golden joysticks resident evil village also won the ultimate game of the year accolade as well promising signs as it led into the perhaps more prestigious it's the general game of the year awards isn't it that happened last, last
2: yeah, the week. video the video game awards yeah, yeah.
3: The, the, the 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 oscars of the video game yeah
2: if you like yeah it,
3: it was village was up for game of the year didn't quite win it lost out to it takes two is that it it takes two. Yeah, yeah, never heard of it. So um, there we go. But it lost out to that, which is unfortunate. But congratulations to Maggie Robertson, if she's ever listening. Uh, you never know. She won the uh, again voice actor of the year award, basically for uh, Lady Dimitrescu, and very well deserved too.
5: It's
2: it's lovely to see Village get these accolades, and you know, it, we, even we touched upon in the review that we did earlier in the year that, despite its issues, it's still a, an extremely well polished product from Capcom. The only thing is, and like full. You know, full kudos to to Maggie Robertson. She played a great Lady D. I'd love to have seen Todd Todd Solely get a uh, recognition for what I thought was an out. Like, and I say this with no sarcasm or anything like that. An, an astounding performance as Ethan, and I really would have liked that to have been recognized in some way, especially after all the flack. The character got for resident evil 7 mm. i think todd has been consistent from the first time we met him all the way through to you know the closing scenes of village i think it, he's been exceptional and it would have just been nice to just see so, some sort of recognition in into one what is genuinely one of the finest pieces of voice acting i think the series has ever experienced i think he did did great work
3: he did he did but uh not to downplay maggie's performance as well i think Certainly not, no no, no fully deserved. Not. Well done. It was because I think it's very hard to imagine Lady D's voice with anyone else. She, I think she encapsulated that kind of almost vampiric nineteen fifties esque. I don't say um, you know. I don't say dominating figure, but you it's know imposing reality, figure. There? There, there is like,
2: it, it, like, a, like a a Hollywood you know silver silver age Hollywood actress uh, aspect to it.
3: Yeah, it it just comes so naturally. The voice just, you know, you see her, and the voice is like, of course, that's exactly how she would sound. Yeah, take it, you know, take a step back and have a look, and go, actually, you know, there's there's quite a lot of you know nuance to it, and the and the way it was done for make to make you as a player think, of course, that's how she speaks. Is uh, that there's there's the art, and uh, congratulations to her.
2: Thing to for... say about Maggie as well, if anyone's ever seen the behind the scenes, um, or or indeed just seen the photos of her at the awards and that. Uh, all the behind-the-scenes shooting. She's tall.
3: Plus, <laughs> she's very tall. You know,
2: she's she's not Lady D tall, of course, but she, you know, she towers over most of the cast.
3: And uh, boo to all the people uh, that were commenting on not just uh, her height at uh, the Video Game Awards—not uh, yeah. necessary at all. But yeah, uh, we'll we'll end on a high and say uh, congratulations to everyone here from the podcast. <laughs> That does finish our gaming news we'll quickly move over to site news firstly we, as always we'd like to thank our new patrons who have joined us so that's Dan Scott Doom GC uh, Robdude79 and Legatron thank you so much for um, your contributions. If anyone is interested in our Patreon then just head over to our website and there's a link to Patreon in the bottom corner. The big news I suppose from our site point of view is uh, I, I I released a new editorial and YouTube video oh yes in preparation for Welcome to Raccoon City I thought uh, perhaps foolishly that it would be fun to look at the Paul W.S. Anderson films but rather than do all the links that Anderson picks up in the, in the the, you know, from the games in the movies, and let's be honest, there's not that many. I thought we'll do it the other way around and see how many times the games has has referenced the live-action movies. Uh, you'll automatically think of oh yeah you know the laser sequence in umbrella chronicles that's an easy one but there's actually quite a lot more and i wanted to touch up on that and the plan was always to do a youtube video and so i started writing the script for it and then i thought you know what i could actually probably just put this as a, as a cool little picture feature as well to, as a kind of mini editorial just to go with it so that is available on our website uh, just under the features tab and of course the actual video itself is on our youtube page please check it out it is a bit of fun people uh, please don't take it seriously <laughs> it's just pointing out some of the uh, uh some of the the links uh, what was your favorite link sean
2: it's, it's without doubt the uh, laser corridor nick <laughs> and, and umbrella chronicles it's an interesting thing you can take from that video as much as it's sort of been done with a almost tongue-in-cheek approach is you can certainly say some of the worst things that have been integrated into the series have been lifted from anderson's movies (laughs) you know i don't think anybody really considers the red queen subplot in umbrella chronicles to be a decent one it just adds an 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 additionally sort of unnecessarily complicated layer it's not complicated it's very simple but it, it wasn't there and they've kind of just sort of fit a square peg in a round hole to to include, you know, the terminology Red Queen in the series. And then the, the, the sort of laser corridors that they've introduced since the 2002 movie have yeah. I've all, all been out of place. You know, even the RA4 one is weird in its inclusion. Mm-hmm. And the Umbrella Chronicles one is utterly shameless.
3: But there we go. Check that out. Have a bit of fun. Have a couple of drinks before you watch it. But there we go. But And if you want to read a bit more about it, there's a bit more details. In the features page. Well, that does finish the news. We're now going to have a quick sub discussion between myself and Starstarrant uh, because we're the only ones that have seen it here regarding Welcome to Raccoon City.
5: Umbrella has been experimenting on this town since we were kids. I think they're turning people into weapons. If we don't contain this, Raccoon City will fall. We have to take Umbrella down. We're not going to make it through the night.
6: Shall we go?
3: Oh, we don't intend to do a big discussion because, as I said in the introduction, we're going to have a much more of a proper in-depth podcast uh, in in the future. So this is more of an introduction just to save time on the next podcast more than anything else. And I know it's only two of us speaking about it. But. I think you'll kind what, of give a them... battle royale
2: <laughs> it is between me and you <laughs> fucking hell Nick, Nick and I couldn't come from any further a spectrum when it comes to what we enjoy about movies at times.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's very true, it's very true. I also want to say um you may have seen on our social media my myself and Batman we were we were invited by Sony to come and see an advanced screening as well um which was an incredible honor and privilege to to do and we had great fun doing it and it was also obviously nice to catch up with Batman there as well. But... Yeah, so we we saw it a bit earlier in the UK, but it'd been out in a, in, in America for a while, but um, that was quite cool. So uh, thanks to the patrons as well, because we couldn't have done it without your support. I'm gonna I'm gonna start I'm gonna start off the discussion by swinging it back to stars. Sean, I I, I don't I'm struggling to think what's the best way of doing it. What's your overall impression of this movie?
2: I, I shrugged and moved on.
3: You shrugged and moved on.
2: <laughs> to, to me, to me, it's like God, this is getting the problem is you can't you can't dissect something like this without it naturally leading into an in-depth discussion So so how can I keep this vague let's just say I find the movie almost vacuous like inoffensively vacuous it's not good but it's not particularly bad either did I have a horrible time watching it no I didn't did I have a good time watching it no I didn't was it so bad to the point that it made me angry no of course it isn't it's fine it's but it's not fine because there's nothing of substance there there's nothing to challenge there's no there's it's so hollow as an experience i found and and that's the that's the biggest thing like at least the anderson movies pissed me off enough i felt i felt an emotion of anger enough to, to 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 like go on a forum like i did back in 2002 and just smash my keyboard in how angry this movie made me whereas i came away from this just going (sighs) <sighs> it's just kind of nothing there. I can't, I feel like it's so hollow. Like, there's nothing I can really dissect. It's a bloated, empty corpse, if you like. For, take, for example, everybody knows, all the way through the production, the run-up to release, I was championing Hannah as such. She's going to be a a Fantastic Jill. Brilliant Jill. Love her work. Love, love everything I've seen her in. And she did an episode of Black Mirror, which is very survival horror, you know, celebrated and whatnot. I can't, I feel like I can't critique her performance because there is no performance there. I can't say the writing's bad because she's not gifted any writing. There's just <laughs> nothing there. I, and and the only way I can describe it, and it's how I described it to the guys in our little uh, preparation chat that we do before every episode, is I feel like I've watched a 100-minute trailer to a movie I'm still yet to see. That's like the only way I can describe it. It's like, I feel like I've watched a Cliff Notes version of a longer film, because what I've seen in that 100 minutes, 110 minutes, whatever it was... Has no substance. It has no. It has no hole or form. It's just a shallow shell of emptiness. And I, <laughs> like that is the worst way I think a movie can make you feel is when it makes you basically feel nothing. I always, I'm always reminded of a quote from Jennifer Lawrence when she was promoting the movie Passengers. When she was confronted by a couple of critics who basically told her that the online response was quite venomous and not very nice, and she said hey, if people love it and people hate it, at least they're talking about it. And I, that that quote kind of sticks with me when I think about something like Welcome to Raccoon City because I think the the biggest problem with this movie is I don't know whether it will make people feel anything within the sort of feeling of, I want to go online and talk about this. I think people will just kind of go, hmm, eh. it's, it's like a deflating balloon. It's almost sad to watch it blow away in the wind.
3: It's a, That's a similar reaction you had to a bit of Infinite Darkness and Remake 3, I think, yeah. if I recall correctly, they're all very much like well, they're there. It's there.
2: I think. That's, I think the biggest tragedy with Welcome to Raccoon City is the lack of support from Sony. Mm. So when I describe it as this sort of deflated balloon blowing away in the wind, that's kind of how Sony's treated its theatrical release. Rob, Rob assures us its um, promotion and its trailers and everything were very much on form with previous Anderson movies. But certainly since release, it's uh, total denial of being available in certain countries. It's very limited run in america odeon not getting it in the uk i'd, I, I'd agree uh, and
3: i i happen to think that sony kind of gave up on it at some point and they cut the budget i've got i, I don't know why because it was filming during the pandemic as you said that there's so little support and they were concentrating heavily on ghostbusters and uh spider-man it basically just oh we'll better hurry up and release it i don't know i i, I just think they they want to an extent cut their losses they're going to make a little bit of profit on it it's it's going to it's just passed its budget of 25 million but i mean 25 million dollars is absolutely nothing in today's movie industry, but you know what? I kind of enjoyed. It. I've seen it twice now. I am. Um, I, I said I saw it at the, at, at the press screening, and then I saw it with my friend, who's a, a very a, a casual Resident Evil fan. And I said, oh, come along. You, you know, you might enjoy it. He, he likes remake too, especially. He came out with it very much a similar reaction to you. I was like, oh, "What do you think? He's like, "It's it's very it's very humdrum, uh, middle of the road. But you know me with Resident Evil movies, I do get a kick out of seeing uh, in, in in quoted in inverted commas as my franchise, if you like, on the big screen? Very much the same with the first Resident Evil movie. I, I, I like that kind of almost like self-knowledge that you're gonna you're gonna pick up on the references. Yeah,
2: that, that exclusivity almost isn't it? There is. I
3: mean, I don't say yeah. snob. But it's not snobbery. It's, no, I know it... what you mean though yeah it's like oh i've been following this game for, you know game for years now it's on now non-gamers are coming to see it you know it's good so and of yeah. course in this game in this movie there's billions of references you know whether you know i know who lisa trevor is or i see the first aid spray uh, poster uh, or oh look at all the all the ammunition that's exactly right and the rpd looks the same and that's all well and good but you do need as sean says you do need a bit of a storyline going in the background and i think the problem is is roberts johannes roberts probably bit off a bit more than he can chew and i don't blame him to an extent, I think Batman mentioned previously. He probably didn't know if it's going to be a sequel, so he just goes, "Sod it! I'm going to do both games in one because I want to have the mansion, I want to have Leon and Claire, and so he thought I'll combine them." And I think generally, the frustration part for me is that I really enjoyed the mansion part of the film. It's really well done. Them flying over the forest, you can almost hear the Alpha team is flying. You know, you know the kind of opening scene. They get it real spot on with the kind of spot camera, uh, spotlight going down, and then they're exploring and they find kind of like the mp truck from resident evil zero almost and they find that and then there's the crow and they kind of end up in the mansion and it's all you know we should split up and it's like really it should be but you know it, it it gets so much of it right and i just wish there was more of it i think and i think they could have done the just the mansion incident it would have needed a bit more planning but they get that quite well and it's just a bit frustrating because it it, it it is a bit disjointed and there's some odd decisions in it like Brian Irons, so not really a spoiler, but kind of leaving the RPD, then kind of coming back, and it's like that was pointless. The second time, I, I, I did, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for what it was. Is it a good film? It's, it's as Sean says, it's all right, but it's more than I'm never watching it again. It's more of a okay, it's fine. It's popcorn fodder. I think it's probably my best way of describing it, and. I think Robbie Amell is perfectly cast as Chris. I think he's brilliant in it. I didn't mind Kaya's take on Claire. I thought... That was a bit more badass. She almost plays a Jill role, really. And in fact, Jill takes more of a Claire role uh, as as the film progresses, which was an interesting decision. Leon's the only character I think they've really got wrong. Don't mind, And we'll discuss it in the other podcast uh, in a lot more detail. But again, I didn't have much of a problem with it. And I found the appearance of the magic elevator from Resident Evil Zero to be particularly amusing. Just suddenly transporting them halfway into the into the forest without anyone really knowing how he got there. But there we go. <laughs> I'm quite, I'm more optimistic than you, Sean. I think C is a term. I just think it needed probably another, at least another 10 million just to make it, it, it lacks a bit of polish that the Anderson movies had.
2: I, I don't think you're necessarily wrong about it, it, it being cut at some point with, whether, whether whether it was shooting time or budget, the finale of the movie does feel yeah. like something went wrong somewhere and they just had to just wrap it up with what material they'd shot. Cause it's, it's really like, it's a mess, the finale. Like, and, and, and most reviews that you, People will have seen by now, and the the opinions that you will have all listening today um, come to yourselves. You know, that the finale is a rushed mess, it barely stands to basic editing in places.
3: So, I remember when the kind of runtime came out, it was quite a short film, generally speaking, not not long. But then the the opening part in The Orphanage is, I think, really good and really effective and quite scary. But I was like, Blimey, this is dragged, this is dragged, a lot dragged on. This has gone on for about 20 minutes now. I was like, that's quite a long time as an introduction, I felt. And you're right, and I, I think if it had been paced a bit better towards the end, it may have been a slightly better film in that sense. But So I do wonder if there is a Robert's
1: cut.
2: It's going to be an interesting movie to dissect, and, and I, I will say this, I do think, you know, if if you want a final point from me, here it is. I think the cast were robbed with that script, to be honest. I think, mm-hmm. I think Robert's assembled a good cast. I, I genuinely do mean that. I think, you know, Avon, Robbie, Hannah, Kaya, they're all great, really, really good. Could have played these characters really fucking well, and I just don't think they were given the opportunity to.
3: No, I'd agree, but and I'll come to it when we do the other podcast. There's some performances I really did like, some was a bit bit iffy on. What I do hope is that they do a sequel, and you kind of get the hint of it, don't you, in the, I mean, this is not a spoiler, because it's in the trailers, the kind of Ashford, Alexia, Mm. and um, Alfred kind of clue. If it gets a sequel, and I really hope it does, it could be a lot more focused. We can just have Chris, Claire, Wesker, potentially, uh, in in a kind of Code Veronica-esque adaptation. And I think if they just uh, go back to my opening point, he bit off a bit more than he can chew. There's enough material in one and two to do separate movies. And I know what he tried to do. And I think it it, it just felt a bit disjointed. If he just focuses on Code Veronica, and he's already talked about it, I think, in interviews, when he's talked about, I want to do the fourth game, he means Code Veronica, not RE4. I I think they can have a real, you know, really narrow down, focus that script. um, And Code Veronica could be an absolute belter of a movie. It could be completely wacky. It could go horribly wrong, but if you if you employ some of the say like the orphanage technique that you see in the opening part of the movie, if they employ that level of creepiness, which of course is Prevalent in Code Veronica with the kind of big dolls house, the Alexia and Alfred relationship, and you, and again, you see it in the movie that you know they they replicate the the dragonfly scene very well. They could make it really uneasy to watch, but in a really good way. So that's why that's why I'm, I I kind of push Welcome to Raccoon City, not necessarily because it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, far from it. But I think his heart was in the right place. He's clearly a fan of the games, and he clearly wanted to put his stamp on it. And and I, I don't think he can be faulted for that there's a genuine passion and love for the resident evil games something which despite paul anderson claiming to be the world's biggest resident evil fan i don't think that ever was projected on screen with the with the first six films, but there we go. That, that's it's, my kind. It's, of
2: it's certainly going to be a fascinating discussion, isn't it?
3: I think so. I'm I'm, I'm intrigued to see what Romby thinks of it because Rom, as people may know, Romby's a bit more of a professional when it comes to the movies, as he works in the industry himself. I'll be fascinated to hear uh, his his views. I'll also go into a bit more detail about the technical side of things in terms of the audio and visual, because for me, it was a really good cinematic experience, both in kind of sound and picture quality. So, which is why I'm looking forward to the blu-ray release so there are kind of preliminary thoughts i know uh people may have hoped for a bit more in depth but as said, we haven't all quite seen it yet we want to do a proper discussion give it a bit more justice if you like really get to grips with uh really get to grips with this game so uh, with this movie so that does finish the sub discussion we now move on at last yes to our feature discussion and our main focal point of this podcast it's the classic resident evil gaiden
4: Few months have passed since the Raccoon City incident. In an effort to put a stop to global operations of the evil corporate entity, Umbrella Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, an underground organization was formed. This organization consists of former STARS members and ex-Umbrella employees. Somewhere in North America, at this underground organization's hideout.
7: Reporting for duty.
5: Good to see you, Barry. I have a mission for you of the utmost urgency. A new type of bio-organic weapon developed at Umbrella Labs has escaped. This B.O.W. is believed to be among the passengers of the luxury ocean cruiser, the Starlight. This new B.O.W. is an extremely dangerous creature, even in its human form. Leon S. Kennedy of Raccoon City Police Department was tracking the B.O.W., but we have lost contact with him. His last report came in over 24 hours ago. Your objective is to locate Leon S. Kennedy and eliminate the B.O.W. You will be inserted via helicopter. The location is a starlight currently cruising in the Atlantic. Extraction will also be via helicopter deployed on reception of radio transmission. Barry Burton, I wish you good luck with your mission.
3: Resident Evil, Gaiden, ladies and gentlemen. It's the last real kind of main media game we have yet to really dig into. So we are pleased that we can actually cover it. Gaiden, of course, was a Game Boy Color exclusive, uh, and it's 20 years old. Uh, as this month, actually, it, ca- it came out in December 2001. To so great fanfare. That's a bit of a lie. But <laughs> it is 20 years old. And over the years, it's probably caused far too much controversy than it deserves but it's it's one of those games that people like to come back to and just to see how handheld full player resident evil game uh, and the handheld but back in the day this was as good as it was going to get before ds came out so we're going to do our usual reviews we're going to talk about the characters the bows and then the big questions about the storyline and the canonicity which is always good fun so let's start with some brief impressions i want to start with stars tyrant what what's your general you know overview of gaiden where does it fit for you in the in the series.
2: Uh, it's, it's a strange enigma of a game to be honest and and like throughout my history in the series and we you know we've all been here quite a few years now um, I can always remember like the process if you like from you know game being announced to like first trailer being revealed and and then ultimately the game coming out with Gaiden I've just been trying to think back through it today and I I can't recall like really anything in terms of promo or or whatever I remember obviously like the magazine spreads of the RE1 port to the Game Boy Color which obviously was abandoned fairly fairly late on and then you know that that sort of guide and sort of replaced it for the Game Boy Color, but I, I don't have a great deal of... I can't remember whether I was hyped for it, I can't remember what my initial impressions were when I first played it. And the game itself, looking back in the sort of retrospective, and obviously we played through it uh, last year uh, li- on live stream it's... it's I don't know, this is an awful term to describe the game, but it's kind of like the bastard child of the series. It's like <laughs> it's kind of rare without being, like, desirable for people, if you know what I mean, apart from collectors. So it has this kind of new niche quality in that like the copies actually go for a reasonable amount of money it's not that widely distributed yeah But at the same time people don't necessarily want to seek out and play it either so it, it kind of exists in this weird sort of bubble but if people give it a try what they will find is they'll have a game with a, a genuinely terrible combat system i don't know who signed off on that i believe you're going to tell us nick it was it was. um but the actual structure of the game uh, and uh whatnot is is very good um, it's it quite resident evilly in terms of the fact it's very basic it's very similar to dead aim in that you're running around a boat you're collecting a key item and you have to just work out where you need to use said key item so the progression's very basic like that but it is a reasonably impressive little title it has a it has a story that at the time would have been completely out there but in retrospective and I, again i think you're going to talk about this it's kind of not so bonkers anymore and it was one of the first times we in a series got introduced to like unusual partnerships so you had like you know you've you've still got games now Which are like Chris and Jill and Leon and Claire and Infinite Darkness, but it was one of the first times where. It took two protagonists from two completely different games, and Barry and Leon, and, you know, weaved a story with those two characters. And I always thought that was really unique and interesting at the time. And arguably the next time we saw that was when Barry was brought back again in Revelations 2 with the unlikely partnership of him and Claire. So you could say Gaiden's a bit of a trendsetter in some ways. Mm. When we reappraised it last year, I was I was taken aback. And if people go back and watch the script stream, they'll know that I it, it surprised me in, pla- in a lot of places, actually. So I do think it has its place. It's non-canon of course, but again you'll lo- no doubt tear it tear all those theories down, but yeah, it's it's all right. It's okay.
3: It's okay. Well that I think I, I think that's fair. Uh, yeah, I mean we'll, we'll get we'll have a bit of a discussion on the on the canonicity side of things. We're not going to be saying anything particularly controversial, um but it's still an interesting discussion nonetheless. Romby, what was the view from down under?
1: Well, I mean a lot of my stuff is based around the, the obviously the power release came out first. And so it's kind of like what Sean was just talking about. There was a lot of obviously discussion about the uh, port of uh, Resident Evil, for which dominated a large amount of the time through 2000 or 99, 2000. And then it just kind of that got cancelled. And we didn't expect anything um, really after that. And then all of a sudden they were like, no, we're still going to make a Game Boy Color game. And I do remember a lot of head scratching at the time going, well, if you cancelled one based on a traditional Resident Evil experience, then what's this going to be? The The, the thing that stopped naysayers probably at the time was stuff like the Metal Gear port on Game Boy that had a very unique style but made it its own and so people were like well maybe you know they'll do something different with it that that might be worth seeing. I think at the end of the day they did do what you could, the best you could do with the Game Boy colour port but uh, yeah, the, the combat bit is probably the thing that probably lets it down the most. I, I remember reading somewhere it was about it would have been inspired by another game. I don't know what one, but it, but obviously it was probably, perhaps not the right choice for uh, the combat, but maybe they tried other things and this worked out to be the best. But yeah, again, the, the plot, uh, it was very controversial and it still is obviously about how much uh, canon... We could lean into it, and obviously, what the, the word Gaiden actually means was bandied around a lot, and and but then things like who wrote it, you know, being one of the people from who wrote, you know, the director of Code Veronica and you know Mikami's involvement, and all that sort of stuff, started to add a little bit of um, mystery and lore to that story, essentially, in of itself. So yeah, I I remember there was magazine articles with the the bloody, I think it was a porthole with a bloody hand on it, and there was a little bit of marketing done, but not not a lot. And um, I, I don't think it sold particularly great. I don't think the large number of copies were made, and that's probably what makes it a reasonably rare copy, as Sean was alluding to as well. So it, it's a, it's a, an interesting curio from an interesting time. That's that's for sure.
0: Well, i got a lot of affection for it. I mean, I haven't played through it in its entirety. I don't, I've never owned a Game Boy Color. But I've still got a lot of affection for this game in terms of uh, where I see its place in the series and uh, from a lot of the uh, gameplay that I've seen. I, I th- I'll defend it against uh, similar to dead aim. A lot of lazy video game journalism that fails to take into consideration. This is this game was created onto a, an eight bit, you know, an eight bit. Machine. I was reading that, you know, unsurprisingly for a Resident Evil game, it had quite a fractured development and the developers, similar to the kind of the experience with Resident Evil Zero, where they wanted to do, um, you know, they, they, they felt that the machine that they're working on at the time n 64 didn't have the capabilities for the, you know, for the game. They, you know, they transferred over to the GameCube with Zero. Similarly, they, uh, the developers of, of Gaiden wanted to do the same and transfer over to the Game Boy Advance, which was, uh, I think either already out, or it was very, Gaiden came out very much late into the Game Boy Colors age. But I think it's a, a wonderful game. I love the, the the change of the combat, you know, that you kind of, again, there's sort of parallels with Resident Evil Dead Aim, isn't there? And it opened my eyes, it was the very first time, I actually, in fact, the first time I ever stumbled across a Resident Evil forum. Um, that's what alerted my attention to Gaiden, and as a collector, I went out and got the, the wonderful cartridge. That's how I, I came about getting the game in the Japanese version. And yeah, two me, two staff members of a, a well-known Resident Evil website at the time were arguing over its canonicity. And I was like shocked at the passion. And, and it really opened my eyes to the fact that, you know, this game was kind of spread across various different consoles. Yeah, in fact, uh, one of the staff members was was thrown off the website for daring to... to, to <laughs> <laughs> refuse to back down from the contention that it's that it's canon and i have a lot of sympathy and a lot of, uh for the suggestion you know that it might be and even you know people say they're ridiculous i don't see them necessarily as being so ridiculous the ties with 3.5 and the infection that the has in that in that game i think you know i'm very much a supporter of headcanon I think people can get a bit too sniffy about Galen and, and Dead Aim and maybe are put off by the reviews, but if they actually look at what it is, it is I think it's a wonderful game, we'll come into it later. There's a lot all, all the things that you would review a video game over, for me scoring like the seven out of tens.
3: Interesting, interesting. I remember I remember getting getting not owning a Game Boy colour. I think I remember getting a Game Boy Colour for my birthday just to play this. And then getting very excited that I could play it on the GameCube because I've got the Game Boy player to play
0: it on. Did you do that? What was that like?
3: Well, it's it exactly the same. You just get to play it on the on, on the big screen, and so you can actually see what you're doing, which is certainly handy. Yeah, I probably regret getting rid of the Game Boy player now; they're worth a fortune. But there we go. <laughs> and it, I know we had, I know we had uh, Code Veronica on the Dreamcast, but we knew it was kind of coming back to the PlayStation with Code Veronica X. So this was a real departure. And like Sh- what Sean said, there's so much of it in terms of the Resident Evil formula. That's there. That it's quite hard not to like to an extent. If we if we ignore the combat situation, you've got item management, you've got herbs and health management, you've got you know popular characters, you've got keys to find navigation, you know enemy avoidance. There's even jump scares to an extent, where they, they, some of the zombies jump out of the behind the curtains and things like that. It's one of the hardest Resident Evil games by by a long way just because there's respawning enemies and some annoyances like that. But once you know what you're doing and where you've got to go, it it's a nice little adventure and and there's there, there's a lot there's a lot to like. There really is. Um, I, I, can I
0: just quickly say I agree a lot with, with that because what I got I got from a lot of the gameplay that I've seen is, is what you've just listed through Nick and the kind of the tenets of survival sort of horror, that, you know, of Resident Evil and it's got, this game has all of those that's why I have a lot of sympathy and will defend it over, you know, some of the bigger titles Again, this is, you know, I've often said that Revelations 2, particularly Dead Aim and even Gaiden, offer more to the series timeline and character development than, than a lot of the, the some of these sixes, sevens and eights of this world.
3: Yeah I won't quite go that far in terms of Character development because we don't get any voice acting or anything like that. Or, but there is a there's a fairly decent storyline, uh, which we'll, which we'll come to. So let's start a kind of review then in terms of the graphical capabilities. We've already touched upon the fact that this was a Game Boy Color game, and, and George, you're absolutely spot on. M4, who was a British company that made uh, a couple of Game uh, Game Boy Color games, they really pushed for it to go onto Game Boy Advance, but Capcom uh, refused and said, "No, we're going to develop we're going to develop it for Game Boy Color." And by the time it came out, the Game Boy Advance was already released in Japan, so it was already up against it. The graphical point of view it's actually really good; it really pushes it to the limit. I mean, the overhead view looks, you know, looks nice, colourful, brooding atmosphere, I suppose. But it, it's the it's the first person element. It's actually quite impressive. The sprite works really good, and so you can see, like, you know, lots of the lots of the rooms are animated. So you get like the running taps in the background. I think there's like curtains that are you know howling in the wind, books falling off the library, things like that. There's all sorts of things, little things, just going in the background that really helped elevate the
0: i mean I, i'm i'm in complete agreement with you nick i think you know for a game boy kind of game i think it looked it looked very good indeed and uh, you're right to pick up on sort of like the atmosphere it really does come across you know that you've like again you yeah, no, I just in complete agreement there's nothing about yeah that throughout the game and the gameplay there's nothing that kind of takes you out or or, or makes you feel that you know you're playing on such you know a, a limited platform despite what you said about you know the the, the desire to go over to the game Boy advance and yeah, I I just think all of the game, like you say, the detail and the sprites look look, look very good, very well polished game.
2: I always quite like, you know, the subtle animations and stuff they use for the cutscenes. I think they really help, you know, tell the story a little bit, even if it's just something as simple as like the raindrops, you know, when Barry's descending a ladder or something, it, it's just, it, it, it does add enough atmosphere. <laughs> For that little handheld to sell what it's trying to do uh, reasonably well,
0: and I kind of like the dialogue as well. I know I noticed online. I just quickly say um, people criticising the dialogue. A lot of those sort of the games, like the Japanese RPGs, you kind of get this sort of quaint, kind of almost sort of innocent way back and forward. that I, I think you kind of got got get with this. You know, I think I've seen it being criticised for quite simplified. Uh, like Star says, you get these kind of great sort of like almost like interlude sort of cutscene pictures sort of like almost like comic book style almost and they they do do really well in creating quite a good atmosphere sort of in a similar way that some of the um, Game Boy Advance uh, Advanced Wars games kind of used to put across kind of in like these backdrops used to really help help to aid the atmosphere and I, I think it did really well in doing that.
1: Oh, yeah, it is It is very much of that time when you'd get those, those dialogue things and in, in non-voice, because obviously a lot of games still didn't have full voice acting or anything like that. So it was very much traditional, especially Game Boy games, you'd have no voice at all. So it was always you know very very limited. Um, you don't want people sitting there all afternoon pushing buttons trying to reread through scrolls of text. You want to simplify it as much as possible. It's definitely a, by design, um, and it's very much of the style of the time. Through the late 90s and into the early 2000s, those sorts of games. I mean, yeah, I've, I think visually it's it's a pretty impressive looking title and it definitely sets a tone and mood. You know, it's, as I was saying before when the Game Boy version of the original game was cancelled and everyone had been quite critical of the look of it because of the colour palette, I think this is a very different style than that. Obviously it has a very good colour palette for what it is and and that's saying a lot because there is a, obviously a limited range in the Game Boy Colours colour palette itself, but you you know to see the outcome of that and there's only a very few games kind of of this era and the very end of the game boy color range that started to really make good use of it and thankfully gaiden is one of those Uh, i think i think that's
3: a really good point everyone's seen lots of the council resident evil one port and visually you look at it go yeah you you absolutely recognize the 3d environments of the playstation but it it is very bright and it doesn't quite work because it's not defined is you know wishy-washy in the way it's executed whereas gaiden is very you know, it's good sprite work. I don't know how to describe it. It really.
1: uses it uses kind of gradient of color and light and darkness. If that's the way best way to describe it, it's it's it uses tones than just color. Whereas obviously, if you go back and look at that Game Boy um, version of Resident Evil and a lot of earlier Game Boy color, you're using flat color grades. You know, like they're just that's brown, that's orange. You know, they're they're very flat. Whereas, like some of the later games, like I mentioned, Middle Gear before, for example, uses a lot of light and shadow, obviously, to create um, a stealth environment. Guidance it does the same sort of stuff to create mood, to create a location and atmosphere. For and for a Game Boy Color game, it's it's uh, it's very good.
3: One thing I wanted to mention that, um, uh, George, as you said, it, it does create a kind of comic book feel. Um, with some of the shots and one that does spring to mind is when you're first introduced to the what I call the amoeba tyrant it's a cool shot as it kind of pans up and you've got this tyrant kind of on its uh, I'll say after you I think you defeated it for the first time it's kind of on its knees uh, and then all the kind of tentacles are kind of spilling out and it obviously visually it's been in pain after you've, you've, you've hurt it that is a really cool shot and straight away you kind of get the impression of okay this tyrant's quite a quite a cool one
0: Yeah, I mean I thought the range of enemies in this game looked really interesting and again, again the sprite work I felt Game, you know, for the Game Boy Color was really detailed and, and kind of really got across the individuality of of the particular enemies, and they really had quite a lot of personality. that really came across really well.
3: Sean's touched upon something he didn't like um, as part of the overall gameplay, and that was the the kind of fighting mechanic, if you like, the the, the, the kind of switch to first person, which, as George I like you've said, is is something like dead aim. <laughs>
1: Oh, I'm just laughing because G- GT just quietly was like, "I, I like that." <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: like, I have, yeah. It, 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 it's sort of I, cause I, I, I felt again with Dead Aim, it didn't take me out of the action. It was interesting because, like with Dead Aim, you have these kind of moments of kind of quiet sort of marauding across this boat and like really dense atmosphere, but you're, you're, you know, you're stalking, you know, very slowly almost. And then you're, but then during those combat moments, you're very intensely brought into this kind of really fast, almost, you know, we've got to really be on on your toes with, with your reflexes and, and get, Mm. you know, the timing perfect. I really enjoyed that aspect of it. I and mean, dead aim.
3: It, it seems to come across with Gaiden as Gaiden. It's just the slider. I just uh, get annoyed by the slider. And as Sean kind of alluded to, it, it, it was something that McCalmy It was something that he insisted upon and something that he implemented according to the producer of the game, Tim Hull. He mentioned in a in a in a, in a magazine interview that was very much his brainchild. It's that it's just the slider is annoying because you've just got to be perfect. And you know, with a knife and the and you can easily miss. And ammunition is very scarce. And the, uh, some of the bigger bosses at the end they they, they do require perfect hits at times just to make it a bit easier so what about you Sean because you obviously played it beginning to end with using the slider
2: well I mean as anyone knows I've streamed most of the games in the entire series and uh, don't generally have an issue with you know streaming even the more sort of outlandish ones like Outbreak Online and things like that the one game that gave us the most technical issues if you've watched the stream you'll know was a Game Boy Color game and I remember just to get it to like a stable speed i had to do like a frame skip on it well that makes the combat interesting (laughs) yes because like if you remember i was just like missing so much and You know, and you can hear my frustration during the actual, uh, during the stream, because it's not that hard on native hardware if you've got the opportunity to play, like, you know, on a a Game Boy Player or if you've um, modded your SNES Classic or anything. It's a far easier game if you've got, like, you know, the native hardware, or or just get an emulator that works. But I I just tend to to just find it's, it kind of is skill-based, but it's more of, you know, it's more akin to playing Guitar Hero than it is a survival horror experience. And that's why I've always had an issue with it. No, no, no problems with it going first person at all or anything like that. But it's just, you know, I don't feel like I'm battling the undead by having to, you know, almost rhythmically hit the center of the screen. With a sliding bar.
0: That's a good point because I haven't really had to put up with that aspect of it, and I'm a I'm a big fan of the uh, DS uh, port, well De- of Deadly Science of the original Resident Evil, but I, I never played the uh, that mode. I really don't like you know when you have to kind of slash the enemy is you know using the the, the pen across um across the screen oh, and yeah, yeah. um, but exactly what stars just said like that like, you don't feel that's kind of part of a survival horror experience doing these things i mean i don't want to give sean nightmares of when you, you puzzles where you have to blow into the ds and how that works <laughs> when you steam it on an emulator but yeah i can I, that that reminded me hearing that frustration is yeah i don't i don't like having to do that like you say it's not part of a survival horror experience it takes you out of the out of what you want to do
1: what about you, Rombie, how did you find the slider mechanic? Uh, I was never really a fan, to be honest, and it was the one thing that did put me off early on. I remember trying the game probably not long after it came out and going, Ugh, this is really putting me off. I don't I don't know why. I just yeah, I just it didn't click with me. I, I, I thought I could see that it was a choice for combat but I, I just didn't enjoy it and i even to this day i still am not a fan I think, no I, I think it adds and uh, it's like kind of what you guys are saying i think it adds an unnecessary uneven level of challenge i can see why you would pick it i see why you could make a version of it but i think the version they went with was perhaps a little bit of a bad choice but of course at the end of the day if the creator of the franchise is turning around and saying we want or you needs to be something like this then that's what you get i guess
3: yeah, especially if you're M4. You're going to go, okay, Mr. Mikami, we will do this. <laughs> Absolutely. I've seen a few streams whereby if you move the screen to the far left or far right, that makes it quite easier. So that rather than aiming for the centre of the screen, you always, the slider kind of moves to the end, if you like. You're kind of like slightly off centre. So the zombie's always like the far left or far right. And that seems to help because, you know, you just kind of watch the, the slider go to the end of the screen. That seems to be quite a good mechanic. Where I think the main frustration is... If you are captured by a zombie, in the sense that it grabs you and then it goes, you know, it attracts the other zombies, and so suddenly your one fight against one zombie is—you've now got three in the background—and that's where it becomes really, really annoying. This is where you need to use the the kind of like targeting system in overhead mode to try and you know force your way through without attracting um, the other zombies. So you know you init- you initiate the battles rather than get captured by the zombies, which will then call out others to, to come to the battle, to almost to their aid. Um, that's a very good way of trying to minimise the number of encounters you have. But it is a frustrating element to it. There's absolutely no doubt about
1: it. I've got the quote, which I'm assuming is what you guys are talking about from Tom Hull, about the battle mode. Oh, go on then. Yeah. I was trying to, trying to find it. This is, uh, this is from the article that's on the web. It says, When asked if M4 had experimented with other styles of combat, such as top-down, Tim reveals a source of inspiration. The battle mode was influenced by a personal favourite of mine, Dungeon Master for the Atari ST. We didn't experiment with any other modes. We conceived the game over as overhead exploration with first-person combat from the outset. Perhaps that's the one reason Capcom chose this. Mikami was particularly impressed with the first person combat, because they used this for the same Dino Crisis demo that's what got them the job in the first place. Once we had created the first person demo, the control system for hitting enemies wasn't too easy, though. If I remember right, it was Mikami who wanted the slider bar added. I bulked at the idea at first, but after implementation, I could see the reason why. It makes the com- combat itself far more intense. There we go. So, yeah. So, love it or lo- loathe it, it, it-, it came is from it- the top.
2: Well, yeah, what do you reckon, Nick? Potentially his greatest contribution? into the series?
3: Did you go that far? No, no, no. <laughs> that does bring us on actually quite nicely to the the BOWs and I think I, I think with Gaiden, it's it's hit and miss with it. I think it could have done with a few more so let's start with kind of zombies. You've got a number of different zombie types in this game, which is quite nice to see. So you've got the standard zombie, the zombie with the with the weaponry, and they take a lot of damage. But also the the red and blue dress female zombies, which are particularly problematic, take down mainly because they can poison with their with their scratches they've almost got like a sweeper from Co Veronica style mechanic whereby you can get poisoned if they if they scratch down on you and then in the later game you, you uh, in the submarine you get the captain which is almost like a uh, the standard super zombie which you you get in most re games as well I felt that it was missing perhaps no uh, sea creatures no crows they could have probably put in or seagulls. Could have had some zombie seagulls or something.
7: Zombie
2: seagulls, my god! There's
1: zombie crazy. I get you,
3: It could have been. I, I don't know. I, you just get a bit bored of the zombies after the while.
2: You could argue, really, all the RE games that have a boat as a main setting all generally have sort of limited BOW um, selections. Really, I know Dead Aim has the hunters, but it doesn't really have that colourful a roster. Really, it's mainly focused as on zombies as a light gun shooter. And Revelations, it's just, which is your favourite variant of Ooze? Um, yeah. It seems to be just sort of inherent to the setting, that it always seems to have a quite limited B.O.W. palette to choose from. But it definitely it does definitely hinder the, hinder, the, hinder the combat, and that's probably one of the reasons why I'm less uh, enthused when I think back to the combat, is because it's incredibly repetitive. With the you know sort of enemy enemy selection, but they they do the old beat 'em up thing where it's just simply increase the uh, damage level of monsters. They just change the color of the sprite.
3: Yes, yeah, the, yeah. The, the difference between the theme, the, the, I think the red the red dress zombies are usually one or two hits only. But by the time you encounter the blue dress ones, they take quite a lot of hits and are far more dangerous than the red dress one. Slightly revolutionary with the with the crowbar zombies. First time we'd seen it. Almost like a a slight nod to S. D. Perry's. Caliban, Caliban, Caliban Cove, uh, with zombies using weaponry. We'd never seen it before. But, George, what did you think of the the B.O.W.s in this?
0: Um, yeah, I, I can't add too much, having you know, again, not having that deal of gameplay uh, under my belt, but really just going back to some sort of the points I made before that I, I felt it was quite sort of unique in, in what it was adding to the series. Again, there's a lot about this game that really presents well. You know, the, the, I felt the zombies were, and, and a lot of the B.O.W.s, you know, the, the cost of these were... Uh, Interesting. Had a lot of personality. You know, the sprite detail was was very good. On this platform, I didn't have an issue. You know, I I would probably you know uh, more so you know with zombies using you know guns and things, but not you know a lot about this game was quite almost campy and sort of comic like. Yeah, you you mentioned sort of the, the, the difficulty. People, you know, reviews complaining about you know running out of ammo and and and. You know zombies that were particularly difficult. I think visible games, particularly after, have become far too easy and far too handheldy. And, and this is what you want with survival. Or you want to uh, be stumped. I've I've had uh, have games where I haven't actually been killed, but I've literally had to give up because I've run out of ammo. And I like that extra challenge. And. You know, I've got no problem with this game having that, and yeah, I thought the the BOWs and the enemy cast were really good. You mentioned, the, you know, that 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 kind of different style with the tyrant, with who was looking like his intestines coming out. I thought they were
3: great. No, the, yeah, the, the the tyrant is a highlight. We'll come on to him in a second, uh, Ronby. What did you what did you think of the BOW choices?
1: I, I mean, I think it works for for the for the for the games' cho- the narrative environment, and obviously the the decision to put some interesting combat. You know, for the style of it as well. I I I don't really have much records. More I can say that you guys haven't really covered it's, it's 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 suitable, I thought, and 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 generally that. And 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 there's nothing really else I could say.
3: Well, the the amoeba type type. I mean, it's very much what what the ooze become in the future. So what we can say, like Gaiden has basically been remade. If you take that, the Tyrant has been remade as the ooze. The boat has been reused in Revelations and Dead Aim. Barry looking after a little girl in Lucia. Has been used in a, a, a girl with special powers is in Revelations too, and then you know with Resident Evil Village, of course we get a shape shifting bow as well. It, it, the whole game uh, or its ideas have been very much uh, utilized by Capcom, which is which is nice. But what I do like about the Amoeba Tyrant is that it's outside of, say, the nemesis. It's the first tyrant we see that has been deliberately created almost to infect other people. It's a very different type of B.O.W. So things like, the, you know, the TW1 and, you know, Mr. X, they are designed to either infiltrate and then just kind of kill. Whereas this tyrant has, whether it's a failing as, as a creation, it's got these intestines, this massive great hole in its body. And it's the first time a tyrant has caused a biohazard outbreak. So in the beginning, they talk about how the tyrant escaped and then infected all the passengers on the SS Starlight. I just found that quite an interesting concept that we actually see how a tyrant would do that because there's always discussions about how infectious is a tyrant as a weapon. It's almost like a a pure walking T-virus sample, if you like. But unless it bites you and tyrants don't bite, unless it perhaps blood is a transfer of blood or bodily fluids, it's not going to actually infect someone like the way a zombie would because a zombie wants to take a clean chunk out of you. This one is different. It, 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 I find it slightly even more primordial and a bit more sinister because it actively went around the starlight infecting people. And I found that quite a cool concept. So the last enemy removed from Lucia's brain uh, on board the submarine because obviously all submarines have a surgery uh, and a surgeon on board. Let's just stand it Everyone knows this. Yeah, there's so always you? room
1: for that uh, submarine, you know? Like, always. An, of cramped or anything in there.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so this kind of parasite creature comes out of Lucia's Lucia. It attacks the captain, who then subsequently turns into like a super zombie, and then he infects everyone on board as well on the submarine. So there's you know zombies roaming around. Very quick infection. What people don't always note is the fact that there's an optional boss fight at that point. If you fight him, it's it's the same creature as the amoeba type tyrant on the Starlight. So that tells me that the it's the same kind of a line if you like BOW line so the so the, the parasite mutates into what you see in the starlight the amoeba tyrant and then again into that kind of green spiky thing that then can shapeshift but because that boss fight is so easy to avoid because you can, he, he just chases you around a big open area with the, where the periscope is at that point. It is the it's the it, it's the amoeba tyrant again. So it's just an int- it's just an interesting thing that, again, I think it's been generally overlooked over all these years that the, as I said, the starlight tyrant is, in fact, part of the same family, if you like. So at one point, that par- that tyrant on board the starlight was a parasite as well. So the whole tyrant program for this one was born from parasitic organ- uh, organisms. But what did everyone think of the end boss, the kind of the, the, the parasite? Then, because he, he presented quite diff- differently to the to the amoeba, because he can he can fire spiked projectiles at you, he can hit you with with his tentacles, and then slash at you all sorts of uh, uh, angles. How did you? How, what did everyone think of that?
2: But from a gameplay point of view, it's an absolute nightmare.
1: I was about to say yeah. challenging was, was the first word that popped into my head exactly yes so.
2: if, you, if you don't have a decent enough arsenal you can actually essentially render yourself not able to beat the game because you have to i'm thinking right nick is the fact where you have to push it all the way back isn't it
3: well all of them yeah 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 absolutely yeah.
2: yeah you've got to use basically You've got to get like critical hits and things like that and push it back to the back of the, the room it's, it's a reasonably decent design it looks a lot like a tyrant with Sort of, you know, spikes. Spikes, yes. It
3: reminds me a bit of the outbreak one in the end, the tyrant reborn, which is kind of like a spiky thing, spiky t- cool thingies. But it, it takes one of it is the one of the most hardy ones because if you play the game, you really do want to go and get the rocket launcher, which is an optional weapon to get, but you kind of need it, and you need to hit them all because he he he, take, he can take a hell of a beating.
2: You know, and then of course as well, there is the added difficulty of the you know your save game getting deleted. <laughs> yeah.
3: So, people unaware, there is a. There's an. Uh, I'll come to uh, Rob about his comments, but there is a an annoying glitch in the last boss fight. Just before you be fighting for the first time, if you score perfect hits on him and you're doing well, it's a known glitch that it will completely not only crash the game that you're playing, it will wipe out all your files as well. So you're actively punished for doing well in the final boss fight.
1: Yeah, wonderful, just that extra added challenge,
3: eh? And uh, I think you you, thankfully we avoided it on our playthrough, but I I did an off screen playthrough, which is on our YouTube channel. It happens on everything. So I got to that boss fight and I I just had my knife left and I was actually doing okay. I was getting perfect knife shots. And I was like, oh, I might do this because I had a bit of health. But no, it glitched out and just died on me.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean,
1: it's (laughs) when you reload and it's like. Yeah start again yeah and and anyone
2: who's listening is looking who's looking to try the game for themselves and obviously you know it's a hard game to get so i know i know what you're going to be doing just do a save state before the final fight and you you, you're good even if the uh, game deletes the the file you just can you can reload your save state so top tip
3: it is a top tip it really is because it is an absolute pain up the (laughs) ass but did you know about that george because that's that's no that's i tr- didn't no, yeah that's true on the uh, on the game boy wow. color game on the on the original hardware it's something that is kind of never obviously it wouldn't be patched but it's kind of trickled into the emulated version as well so um yeah it's it's really annoying so the, of course the, the funny thing about the parasite is that it can shape shift and as uh, stars alluded to earlier in, in in the podcast it's very out there as a storyline back in 2001 but doesn't quite seem as out there now after Resident Evil Village. Or even uh,
1: some of the other games. I wouldn't even say just Village. It's just the narrative lore and like the creature creations have gone on through the games. I mean, if you look at the variety of enemies in 6, for example. So... Is
3: it is it any less weird than Simmons being able to go from human to fly to T-Rex? to Exactly, <laughs> yeah. It's it's no... no...
2: no... It's it's no different from mimicry, Marcus, is it? Let's be honest. No,
1: that, that's also the, where I was about to say. You know, Le- Leech is creating a, a you know a, a body essentially, even if it doesn't look like someone is, is already on that level, and then yeah, the fact that they're on top of it, they can actually physically resemble someone is even more so.
4: Suddenly, out of the darkness, the creature lunges, grabbing Lucia and pulling her into
7: the sea. <laughs> I don't believe this, Leon. Wait here. I'm going in after her.
4: Leon waits for Barry to surface. Pulling Lucia from the ocean, they both make it onto the deck of the ship.
7: Take it easy, girl. You're going to be alright. That's it. Deep breaths. Oh, jeez. Not again.
4: Eerily standing behind Barry and Lucia is another Lucia. What's going on? I'm Lucia. Don't believe her. I'm Lucia.
7: Don't either of you move a muscle.
4: She's... I'm the real Lucia. Barry, look at this. Lucia nicks her
7: hand with a knife. It oozes red blood. Ouch. Good thinking, Lucia. I don't believe it.
6: It's turning into another creature.
3: I mean, I, I think it was done just because, you know, it, it, it's a it's a classic horror trope, isn't it? Oh, someone's mimicking. Which one is it? Don't shoot her, shoot me, that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, she, definitely.
1: <laughs> that and also the game was wanting a unique enemy for its narrative. Like, that's just like most of the games when that happens. You have an enemy that's a, maybe perhaps a unique thing for that, for that title. Still within universe, which is why obviously we've got this whole thing about it looks like a tyrant, but with spines.
3: Well, I think that brings us on nicely to uh, something I think we'll all celebrate the return of barry burton uh, this was marketed as a game post raccoon city and lined up very nicely with wesker's report which we'll talk about in a bit but the the return of barry and leon in a post resident evil 3 world was particularly pleasing to many fans up and down the, in the around the world
2: I'm, I'm pretty much the only only existing image of the anti umbrella hq isn't it
3: yes yes oh, so that's wow. the, that's the general storyline that they, both he and leon have joined an anti umbrella organisation Made up of stars, members, and former umbrella employees as well, uh, taking out umbrella facilities and that kind of thing. And it's it, it's great to have Barry back. He plays a dangerous game in the game, doesn't he? He um, pretends to betray Leon by you know by calling umbrella to come and rescue them and say, "I've got the girl. I've got you know the I've got you know you can have her." That kind of thing, uh, and then turns his turns his gun on the captain in a switcheroo playing it you never I, I never felt that they were out of character i felt leon was pretty pretty normal barry was you could almost hear barry's voice from the original game as as the game was playing the way so the way it's written it was quite cheesy cheesily written but that obviously suited barry down to the ground
2: and, and yeah and people have to bear in mind as well that at the time it came out you know we were still having to wait literal years to see Lee, like, like leon's next chapter even even longer for barry's obviously in hindsight yeah. but you know i'll never forget that first uh you know the cradle of the progenitor trailer for re4 and it's like leon's infected are they they continuing (laughs) Guidon, you know and obviously hindsight's wonderful and uh it's it's not that at all but i remember that there was just a fleeting moment where we were thinking oh god they really are really are going for this in terms of like you know leon working for an anti-umbrella organization he's clearly got an infection and cool
3: I think the most interesting character is Lucia, and again another idea. She was uh, an orphan from an orphanage that was basically owned by Umbrella. Again, something that kind of remake two kind of brought into the uh, into the narrative as well, and then shipped off to Europe because she had a parasite inserted into her and was starting to act weird. And she developed <clears throat> some form of powers. She had ring- she could she would heal very easily, and she would hear ringing in her ears if she was close to the monsters and things like that.
1: I mean, to be honest, like from from an era standpoint, again. You know- It's not any worse than some of the other. I say worse. Worse is not the prerogative. I wanted uh, pejorative. I wanted, Um, but you know what I mean. Like it's 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 a perfectly functional title story. It's just really basically the ending of it that makes it the real confusing, contradictory mess it is. And obviously a little bit of the a few bits and pieces here and there as far as where characters are and what they're doing but from an actual just narrative story point of view it's fine
6: I I think
3: it is and you know if we kind of creep into the kind of canon bait or the kind of general storyline point of view it was at the time and and, and this is where I think some of the discussions that perhaps George you witnessed when you kind of entered into the fandom there's a beauty of hindsight Kind of looking back on it and go well of course it was never it was never going to be canon or it was ne- you know it's always clearly supposed to be separate rewind your minds back to you know the, just before code veronica and that kind of thing there's absolutely no reason on earth to suggest it was non-canon
1: other than the title but the-
2: yeah uh, other- no, I, was, I was just literally gonna say that was the hook that everybody uh grabbed wasn't it
0: <laughs> yeah other than
1: the title was the, the hook but,
0: uh, i, I mean we've on. we've we i think we wasn't it. Code Ronica Freak we had on a previous podcast that went mm. into exactly what guy, could it be interpreted as, as just simply as expanded universe, you know, yeah, uh, well, I
2: think it literally translated. Doesn't it just mean side story? Yeah, and story. you can yeah. say
0: that for Revelations yeah. 2 did aim and anything that yeah, got like, which, which, Absolutely. The Survivor. series
2: had side stories all the way throughout.
1: But it's it's the fact that the, my argument for that was also the fact that they used a specific word to title it rather than giving it a subtitle because you could have been yeah. like this could have been resident evil Starlight, you know, yeah. silly title or whatever, you know, like it could have been something and instead they went with resident evil or Biohazard Side story. Which it, the thing is, the context of that is the difference, and 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 I think that was the thing that Alex was trying to get at is that, and when you when you title something that is a side story, it's usually a what if
2: almost Mm. yeah absolutely
1: it's difficult culturally i think to really ascertain
2: i was gonna say it got murkier as well when and you guys will have to correct me one of one of the official resident evil websites back in probably the mid 2000s had a timeline and and it had like characters and whatnot in the series in like a little miniature database sort of thing and lucia turned up in this database of course it only added (laughs) was that
1: the year? European one? that had the timeline on yeah. it? I think that was just because they did an outside development and they added characters that they, they, they fit. Because there was stuff in there that didn't... There was other things in that, as I recall, that didn't quite fit... Or work so i think they just tried to put as much narratively in as possible for the purposes of doing it there was a lot of controversy about that exactly because people were like oh look it's officially on the th-, and then it disappeared yeah, absolutely it like, yeah but it's funny uh, no
3: you're right i mean uh, by the way if anyone's interested head, head over to our website i've done a whole editorial on the on Guiden and what what rob and sean have just referred to is, is there you can see, I, I found it on the wayback machine you can see the database entries for lucia uh, and the fact that Leon joins up with Barry, they mention that explicitly. Mm. Um,
2: recording time, folks, recording time, please. It took him that long to mention it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, is just, this is like your magnum opus, and you took you well over an hour to mention it. Well, guess, yeah.
1: it's it felt that it was a good segue. It was a good segue <laughs> yeah, at the, at the, the time. time. It was a good segue at the time. <laughs> at the time when we were talking about the the, the uh, canonicity of the thing. Yeah. yeah, honestly, I mean, at the end of the day, Nick is is championed the idea of of whether or not it could be canon. It's not. It's not you going out there saying it is or it isn't. It's just. It's it's taking the uh, the fundamentals of what works and what why it could be and 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 it's it's a good article like it really is even for people who haven't played the game just out of a curiosity it's kind of a it's a it's a worthwhile read so i mean in in terms of the canon i'm not
3: going to sit and go oh it's canon far from it i think it's clear going forward that capcom do not consider it part of the continuity or the storyline but and, and this is where the funny arguments came about. Gaiden, it was that for the most part, let's let's say this is a three-hour game, two you know, two two hours, three hours game. Everything in it fits in the storyline, bar the last yeah. two seconds. It's a big two seconds. Don't get me <laughs> wrong. <laughs> but everything else fits and if it didn't have that ending
1: i just don't think you wouldn't you you, you wouldn't have been an issue because you you could you could nullify and explain out stuff like the anti-umbrella stuff a little bit more down the path and leon going off to join using that experience or that 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 can all be explained away but yeah that the end of that game you you can't really. It is.
3: It's tricky. But what what is really interesting, and again, if you look at that article, um, and I've kind of mentioned it in the in the editorial as well, that interview with Tim Holt was that when they were developing the game, the only part of the development that was completely off limits was the storyline, and they were Mick Mick McCormie and it was Cato that wrote it. Cato, okay, so, yeah. They were absolutely hell bent on the ending. What well, one would assume it was like you cannot change the story. This is how it was planned. So the storyline was given to M4 and they could then do what they like within it, I suppose. You know, how how Leon and Barry get from point A to point B. But they were very clear that the ending of the game would finish with Leon either being... A shape-shifting BOW or which is as I've theorized was merely infected with the t-virus at the end it's just an interesting development point that this is not like where a developer just gone off on the whim and just done whatever they like they were given clear instructions that this is how the game would end and as you say we've kind of got that cradle of the progenitor virus kind of just, was it
0: interesting they were so insistent that it ended with you know with Leon being infected and you just wonder whether they had you know so it's certain... it's,
1: it could be a fact. like I, I, I won't play devil's advocate it might have been fair that they thought you know, if this does okay, we can do you know another one mm. following us on the new Game Boy, the Game Boy Advance, or whatever. Ended up equal,
2: and we'll pick up That's that true. story. I mean, days. I mean, yeah. Sometimes you could say like non-canon spin-offs do these like massively outlandish twists to almost reinforce the fact that it's not the main mm. storyline. Mm and uh, you, you know. can go way
1: off on a tangent and make yeah. a f- series of spin-offs that run that line as an alternate what if you know and it's the same thing that you do say nick which is you know there could be connection to a plan for the one of the versions of resident evil 4 there could be all sorts of answers we won't yeah. know unless we got an answer from the from either writer or or makami basically about it and um I doubt they remember. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I was going to say information that's probably pretty thin, and I don't even think Alex really covered it. So um... no, he'd be the
3: person to ask. But no, it, yeah. it, it's just a really interesting point that some, you know, and and then again, you cast your mind back. You've got the hint in Wesker's report DVD. Say you know, a direct reference to Gaiden. Interestingly that line had been was then removed in future versions but that was never released outside of Japan so the English version, if you like, is still, for most English-speaking people, the most up-to-date version from 2001. And it's, as I said, it is only those last two seconds. Everything else still works and an interesting development as well. I know Batman's not here today but he has recently translated the Biohazard 4 Kaito Shinto book and even that, which of course course is like the what the third or fourth version of Resident Evil 4 that was made expressly says that Barry and Leon joined an anti umbrella organization after the events of Raccoon (laughs) City so that is still if you take that into account a canon reference to a (laughs) non-canon event (laughs) But then, I mean, just, just to counteract that, I think Revelations 2 said Barry joined, went to Canada swiftly after Raccoon. Mm. But, you know, it, it's not, I'm not saying it's Canada. I just think it's
1: quite amusing that there's all sorts of It's still and... unclear. It's That's the thing. It's amusing yep. that it's still unclear when it should either be one or the other. Yes.
3: yes. And I think over the course of time, because of its relatively outlandish shape-shifting properties it's just become more and more and and i'll say this i'll say this the same is of 4d executor biohazard 4d executor that was way out there that was way out there in terms of what happened now you know transferring consciousness through a virus is it any different to what alex wesker was doing in revelations 2 no, not really. On a,
2: as a briefer side, I would have 4D Executor as canon. Absolutely, there's, there's yeah. Ways, there's ways you can, you can make that work. And Nick, your theory of, like, literally, they drive out of the city as it blows up and then they get killed in the explosion. That works for me. That's cool.
0: Yeah. i mean i just it sits badly with me this suggestion that you know the the virus almost a victim of its own success you know that the cameron's virus was so so perfect you know why does it not come up in another game but just within itself i yeah i've got no problem with it being canon so in fact if you scrutinize and and i've done this take a screenshot of the gates just before they open at the beginning it says rack you can see it does it says raccoon city on the gates yeah, because people have always kind of questioned where does it take place and at what point, you know, in the timeline does it take place? I think it's been dated as well, hasn't it? Just literally just before you can, yeah, yeah.
3: The final point I wanted to mention just about the storyline again is something I've 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 been a bit of a, a opponent of the idea that Leon at the end of Gaiden is infected as opposed to him being the BOW because if everyone plays the game, they know that Leon and Barry find out that the B.O.W. has green blood and then obviously they find out that it can shapeshift. And then when it shapeshifts into Lucia, Lucia goes, give me the knife. She cuts the knife. I've got red blood. Good idea. Well done. Bam, bam, bam. Kills the parasite. They all escape on the submarine. And then Leon's like, I'm, we're heading home. And then it zooms in on the on his neck and he, and he's dripping green blood. So the natural inference from that is that actually that Leon is still the B.O.W. in disguise. And that idea has you know, has just manifested itself over the years. And again, absolutely no criticism because it's an entirely logical conclusion. But as I kind of say in the editorial, there's an argument to suggest it's not the case at all. And it's just Leon and that Leon's been infected by probably the, 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 the amoeba tyrant. We're, we're digging quite deeply into non-canon, uh, non-canon law, but please bear with the whole. The whole point, the whole kind of purpose of it, is that Lucia can detect the BOW, so she can detect the Tyrant when it's close by. Her ears ring; um, it's a side effect of the of the parasite. Her ears ring, and she's got this super healing power. Fine, a bit like Sherry in that sense. She then has the parasite removed, but um, she still has lingering powers. If you like, because she can still, I think, at that point, you know, you kind of escape the submarine, and you're playing as Barry. You're playing as Barry and Lucia at that point. You then go back on, you escape the submarine, go back onto the Starlight to rescue Leon, who's had his final battle with the with the with the amoeba tyrant in the engine room. the The tyrant kind of actually defeats Leon to an extent. You find him resting against one of the uh, one of the pipes, all pretty roughed up. Anyway, Barry and Lucia turn up and Barry's like, yeah, I'll find you. You're alive. Good, good. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. Bear in mind, Barry knows Leon relatively well at this point. And it's Lucia is the one that goes, wait a minute. I don't think that is Leon. And Barry's like, what the hell are you talking about? And then he shapeshifts. Bear in mind, at that point, they have no idea that this B.O.W. can morph into a human. That, you know, the, the, the amoeba tyrant couldn't do it so uh, and they've obviously encountered the, the the parasite on the submarine and it's just turned into another tyrant so they have absolutely no idea it can turn into a human and replicate clothing in that sense so the only way that lucia can realistically say i don't think that is leon is because she's still got a bit of lingering powers perhaps her ears are still ringing a bit and then lo and behold it then mutates into the parasite and you fight it And that's fine that's fine and then it's only it is only when you fight hit the the parasite at the end and you get onto the submarine lucia then says my powers have gone because she realizes that where she's cut off, cut her hand to show that she's got red blood she then realizes at that point it hasn't healed so that that is the point when her powers have gone bear in mind she would have been again standing next to leon during the battle and next to him as they descended down the rope or like and so, at no point, which would she, she would have worked, she still would have worked out that it was him. It, it was a fake BOW, well, okay. a fake Leon. So, I just think that, and I'd, I'd love, I'd love to, I'd love to ask the developers. It's what their idea, you know, what the what the general idea was. Was it supposed to be a, you know, a fake Leon, or was it just supposed to be? Oh, we just wanted to make it infected. I've just got a sneaky suspicion it's supposed to be an an infected Leon as opposed to. BOW. I think the, the the clue with Lucia's powers again, knowing that he shapeshifted without knowing that that is a possibility of this monster, is the bit is the big clue. And of course, something that came up in our Discord, um, and I thought about this Leon. Actually, if it, if it is, it is a fake Leon, he actually calls HQ and says we're coming home. There is no way on earth, despite this parasite being a clever BOW, could it replicate a radio? It would just be it would be an organic radio. <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, you have organic chainsaws, I suppose.
3: So. <laughs> you do have the organic <laughs> chainsaws, but there is no way. There is no um, way that that is. That's
2: the thing happen. is, if it if it's not Leon, what happens to Leon,
3: Nick? Well, that's the point. Everyone. We always used to joke, and I know George used to joke that. Oh, he was fine. He went down in the ship, and they they quickly got, went and rescued him. <laughs> Where they realised, you know, that happens off screen. I find that ending more problematic. If you want, if you want to include it in your head canon, and by all means, people please do. I just find it more problematic to suggest that that was a fake Leon that they quickly disposed of off screen, and then they rescued the real Leon in, in the in the starlight as it went down. It's easier to say actually it was just an infected Leon. Still causes a problem. Don't get me wrong. Still well, causes yeah, a problem. But
2: then they've got daylight by this point, so they're just uh, you know, as as routine procedure upon an agent's return back to the anti umbrella HQ give them a shot of daylight just on the off chance
3: exactly exactly that for me is i mean yes you're connecting the dots you yeah, know just to, just to make it work don't get me wrong yeah. as, but if 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 that's if you want to headcanon it it is a lot easier to do that and you can be comforted by the fact that the clues in the game suggest that it's an infected leon as opposed to a fake bow leon and you can be comforted by the fact that Resident Evil 4, the guide, says that Barry and Leon joined an anti-Umbrella organisation. So th- there's enough There's enough there for you to go, you know what, sod it, I'm having it. It's, it. it's part of my canon. And no one, no one can tell you otherwise. But just be alert to the fact that Capcom probably don't consider it canon. But if you want to, please do.
0: I mean, you could even, like I say, yeah, tie the 3.5 beta in and say that that took place before the events of Resident Evil 4. I mean, 4 really took Resident Evil completely, you know, I mean, the the Plaga, I can't remember, was it mentioned in 5? But, you know, no. was of complete, could almost argue with complete alien origin. And, you know, the, the events in 4 are so detached in the same way, you know, 7 and, and 8, what are from the series timeline.
2: We, we live in a fandom where there are fan theories that mercenaries in RE3, OG RE3, is a canon scenario, you know, so the fact that you, you can do some headcanon shenanigans and if you want guidance, just have it, just, you know, it's fine. At the end of the day, it's ultimately harmless, and, that, and that's the thing, like, people get uppity about this little portable title, and ultimately it's harmless. If, if you want to enjoy it, enjoy it if it's part of your canon. I think the remakes have taught us To be just a lot looser with this kind of thing now yeah definitely and and, and, you know and and i've I've gone for years on record on this podcast about how much that you know that reality used to horrify me but it's just the reality we live in now this is one of the reasons why we get onto operation raccoon city next year for its you know 10 year anniversary podcast though i'll never sign off that game as being good i do think it deserves a reappraisal in terms of its canonicity Due to the fact that the remakes exist, you know, the things I used to call out for that game are things like it doesn't adhere to the original game's geography and it doesn't adhere to some of the original rules that were established. Well, you know, here's the thing, the fucking remakes don't either. So why should you hold Operation Raccoon City to the same scrutiny now and and Gaiden uh, similar? So, you know, the the series has become that, you know, you, you can't level the more fantastical elements of its plot, because as you've pointed out, Nick, Village only did that this year. You know, Revelations 2 has another young lady that can, you know, see invisible B.O.W.'s. You know, she can detect them. How is that any different from Lucia? How can you critique Gaiden for some of the story avenues it goes down when later games that have come along since then do exactly the same thing? You know, retrospectively, looking back on... Problematic. What what was once problematic games like Gaiden. You, you you do you have to you have to sort of reappraise things as as video game IPs develop and, and whatnot. It's, fa- it's a fascinating discussion, and and I think that's probably all the more worthwhile that we're doing the Gaiden podcast finally now post Village. Mm. If we'd done this podcast like way back in twenty fourteen, the discussion would have been very different. And I think Post Village, it's, it's almost a fascinating sort of deconstruction of like what builds that storyline.
3: I'd agree entirely. And, and yeah, just to kind of like jump ahead to next year, we are going to be doing the Operation Raccoon City. And I think that the canon discussion there is going to be really interesting because, as you can see in, in Batman's mythology, he puts so much of the lore in there. Uh, it's all color-coded in red, so you know that it's Operation Raccoon City. But, you know, there's, there's tiny little bits like the Chief Iron Secretary, never named, no. never named in Resident no, Evil 2 or 3. No. But now in Operation Raccoon City it is. Should that be considered canon? Well, well
0: I mean, that's a good example of where well, for me, and I I take this, this is how I sort of view Gaiden, and, and I did the same with, with, with Dead Aim as well, is is kind of look at what it adds to the serious timeline, you know, for example, you know, let, let, let's not sort of um, turn our noses up at a game where we're getting Barry Burden, you know, sort of beloved character that we hardly, you said we had to wait years till we score him again. And Operation Raccoon City is a very, very good example where there's some ex- fantastic details that are added to the kind of the timeline uh, of the kind of the early outbreak. You look at the concept art from Operation Raccoon City and so many of the details they really, really adhered to with a lot more kind of, a lot more mindful to to, to continue things that went with the original games than we've seen in in in, in, the, in any of the remakes. And I think there's a good argument to say that the, the people that at the helm of Operation Raccoon City were you know Andrew Santos, to be specific, was a lot more mindful and uh, had a lot more concern and consideration for the, the canon and the, and the traditional original games canon uh, than people that were at the helm of, of the latter games, of the remakes particularly.
2: This is this is you know what you've just said there, Nick, about the um, secretary in Operation Raccoon City, and not to divert away from the fact that this is a Garden Podcast, but think of this as a sneak preview to how this discussion's going to go in a few months' time. How can you turn your nose up at the secretary being named in Operation Raccoon City when there's a, a movement within the fandom that utterly rejects the remakes against the original games? And I'm probably one of them, you know, I will always see the OG games as canon yeah but people were very very happy to take catherine warren's name from the remake and apply it to the original game now so now when people see the mayor's daughter in og2 they <laughs> you know uh, people call her catherine now you know and a- a- Emma Kendo not as well. named in the original game at all
3: it, it, it's an interesting it's an interesting discussion and uh as a are point, you talking I,
0: I, well, in terms of the secretary is this the thing that's actually I don't know if this is additional that's not in the game, but in the inserted, inserted Evil.
3: yeah, inserted meant yeah. It's all very much a bit of a pick and mix, I think though, and no one uh, with with the, with, the, with with the timeline and and whatnot. And I just think, because you know, considering as a matter of fact, adding. Say remake two or remake three into the canon as almost being a Leon C as opposed to Leon A or B. Oh, this is just the third scenario. That's far more problematic than what Guiden is with his two seconds of issues. <laughs> you know, that's purely from a factual point of view. But um, people want to know when Gaiden takes place. There's no specific date, but the the uh, the age of Leon is 21 and Barry is 38 which are the same ages that they are in Resident Evil 1 and 2, respectively. So you can kind of work out, based on the fact that Leon is 43, I think, in Resident Evil 6, which is in June. It has to take place between October 1998 and June 1999, with a common belief that it's kind of taking place at the same time as Code Veronica. But there we go. That's... uh for people to have a have a have a ponder about but they're, they're the kind of ages of of barry and leon there um okay so i think we're, we're kind of wrapping up the end i wanted to finish with um uh, I, I i talk about the music the, the the classical music i think it's quite a nice way to end it uh people would have heard in the podcast there's some awesome remixes of the main tunes, and, and a, a big shout out to Padrex and Softland for the for the music that we've used in uh, in, in this podcast. There's some others as well, so just Google on, oh, so just YouTube on uh, search on YouTube for Resident Evil Gaiden Remix OST. Prepare to be blown away. There's some great ones, exorcist style music. Uh, but
1: Rob, what did you think of the general audio issues? The audio is not. Even for Game Boy Color games, is, there's a theme, there's stuff going on, but it is not a great soundtrack, let's be honest.
2: Yeah. That, is, yeah, that, is, is, that is brutal, Rob. Yeah, I, I haven't... It's, a... it's, it's repetitive, but the, the, sort of the main theme, I would say the main sort of overworld oh, music that plays is not great, but the title screen music's a banger when it gets going.
1: Yeah, the title screen I'm okay with, but the problem is it's just a title screen track, and then once you're actually in the game, you're hearing the same stuff. Oh,
2: right. remember. to <laughs> Yeah. yeah.
0: And if you grew up with sort of, you know, video games on, you know, the home computers over here, you know, in the 80s.
1: Yeah, I, so the did Amish I, GT. I, I, I did as well, GT, and this is yeah, the thing. There's, there's a difference is, between good, consistent, <laughs> or variety of music yeah. and ones that r- are very repetitive. There's definitely a thing in it. But by the point in 2001, there was no excuse for that. Oh, there's yeah. enough there's enough audio space on those carts to provide oh, more okay. variety. Okay, It's the one downfall of that game for me more than anything else, other, even other than the
2: difficulty. Hoodie.
1: we did get it go
2: some of the um, zombie audio is actually lifted from like re2 i think isn't it
1: yeah yeah i think it's compressed versions of that which is also kind of impressive in, a, in its own way i mean there's nothing wrong with the sound it's just the repeat of nature uh george uh, well george what did you think of the audio the
3: soundtrack
0: yeah i i came back on what one was saying that just um i quite enjoyed it you know, I mean, I mean well, no, I, I didn't think it was particularly bad. I think, you know, used to sort of that sort of plinky plonky sort of <laughs> sound <laughs> that we used to get, you know, with the, with, on my Amstrad CPC. But then Rombie makes a good point that this was 2001 and it should be kind of held to account what, you know, in terms of the capabilities, what it could have sure. done. It, again, it sort of kind of set the atmosphere was a bit spooky. I quite, yeah, I didn't have a problem with it.
3: No
2: it does. Yeah, I mean Rob. Rob's not not wrong. I mean, you know, for the hardware, they should have really done better. I mean, you know, and one one only has to look up the version of Robocop on the on the Game Boy, and it's got one of the most incredible soundtracks of all time, and you know that's on the Game Boy. So it should have done better, really. But at the end of the day, it's a portable game, and most people play these kind of things when they're commuting with the volume down and whatnot in short bursts, not that it excuses it or anything like that, but I never found it particularly harmful, I just think it has become all the more apparent. It's because we live in an era where we stream our games, we sit down and play the entire thing from start to finish, and you could argue that a game like Gaiden was never meant to be sat and played over like a four or five hour stint. In that context... Yes, the music will drive you to absolute insanity <laughs> thinking back to the you know the hardware it was made on the, the, the circumstances one plays it, it, it it's it's fine it's fine but it might have even been caught live on stream. I'm not sure if, if I might have to go back and listen to it but while we were setting up, and there was a lot of technical problems with the audio and everything like that. So I think the audio from like the title screen or the, the menu screen was playing a lot. I think there's a moment where I might even on stream say to Nick, Fucking hell, this title screen music's banging. Like, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely wicked. Um, and it genuinely is. It's a genuinely good piece of music. And as Nick says, there's ignoring the plinky plonky aspects of the game Game Boy version, some of the actual like fan remixes of that main guiding theme for like the title screen that are like literally on par with some of the better tracks that you would come to experience in the rest of the series. Like, it's a genuinely good piece of music. And a shout-out as well, the samples, um, you know, the zombie samples which were lifted from the PlayStation 1 games. They're low-compressed, they're not great, but it's just nice that they made an effort. And despite the fact that it's a portable title, they still get a, I'll do my best, Where is war in that. So, you know, they, they tried. Let's just say they tried.
3: They tried, absolutely. And we are all very much for people having a good shout.
7: Let's get out of here while we've got a chance. Move it!
4: Barry, Leon and Lucia finally make it onto the deck of the sub.
7: Look, the starlight! She's going under!
4: The three look on as the starlight tilts upright and prepares to sink into the freezing, cold, watery depths.
7: Looks like we finally made it. Yeah. Looks like we're going home, Lucia.
4: Oh, Barry. You don't know what this means to me.
7: Your hand. It's cut and it's not healing.
4: You're right! And my ears aren't ringing anymore!
7: That means...
4: I've lost my powers! I'm normal.
6: Hey guys, I'm getting through to headquarters. HQ, this is Leon. Mission accomplished.
3: Right, we do have a call in, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much to uh, Bloody Eye Jerry. Uh, if anyone is aware of his following on Twitter, he's a big Resident Evil guide fan and will defend it. So uh, let's hear what he has to say.
6: The SS Starlight is finally docked at the REP, and I for one am so happy it has. Gaiden isn't everyone's cup of tea, and all I can do is try and show you what makes it so special. I first recall seeing it advertised in GamePro. Leon was the featured character in all the adverts. Further reading revealed that the big man himself, Barry Burton, would be playable. Finally, when I got the game I dove right in. I love the Starlight as a location. Sure, 20 years on, it's not as novel a concept as it was then. Since its release, both Dead Aim and Revelations would take the infected cruise liner idea and use it for their respective titles. The gameplay was definitely unique. It reminded me of JRPGs where you would explore the world until running into an enemy, or in in Guidance case, sometimes getting the drop on enemies yourself. This, of course, would lead to the slider battle screen. I liked that element because it added tension to encounters with both zombies and B.O.W.'s. Yes, the game wasn't and isn't easy. That didn't bother me. Being a portable title, I felt the difficulty was justified. That's not to say I enjoyed respawning enemies. And yes, its puzzles are very basic, mostly relying on your killing and looting the corpse of the right zombie to access certain areas. From the files and keys to the weapons and herbs, this game had all the staples of the series and utilized them as best it could. But the story is why I kept coming back. The first time meeting as Nick has dubbed him the Amoeba Tyrant caught me off guard. A creature that resembled a T-103 but had tentacles that would burst out of its midsection, and the ability to ooze down and move throughout the starlight seemingly at will. With the Amoeba Tyrant were introduced to its quarry, a strange little girl named Lucia, who has a knack for healing like Wolverine at detecting B.O.W.'s. There are many plot twists, from Barry faking a f- betrayal of Leon seemingly leaving him to die on board the Starlight and taking Lucia to Umbrella, to the ultimate revelation that Lucia was the host for the true B.O.W., a parasite that is due to be born in a few days. Once freed from Lucia, the parasite becomes a tyrant that can consume organic matter and shapeshift into human form. A terrifying concept that works well in the game. And yes, leads to the infamous ending. No, I don't think that Leon was a fake. At the time, initially, I thought it was possible he was infected, and it would be something later games would touch upon. This never happened. I'm of the mind now that Leon was later cured. I do consider Gaiden as a canon part of the series. I just want to thank Nick for carrying the torch for us lonely Guiden fans. Long live Gaiden. Hashtag Gaiden is canon. Hashtag Gaiden is life.
3: Thank you, Jay, for that call. It really good, actually. I think it kind of covered pretty much everything that we went through. He was a big fan of the slider mechanics, something we were a bit unsure of there. It, it, I'd agree with him. It certainly does add tension. To the battles
0: yeah it's interesting he picked up on the kind of the parallel with that he had that the japanese sort of rpg type elements mm. to it which i kind of got in the speech and the kind of the dialogue and i think you kind of you it sort of picks up just in in many of the kind of his observations what i liked about the game that you know that they the BOWs you know they, they they have their character that the uh the, the narrative you know just have these plot twists that yeah, there's, there's a lot about this game that kind of keeps your interest and, and, and keeps, uh, you know, kind of keeps you going with it. And, you know, stars makes a good point that maybe it wasn't designed necessarily to sit down and, and play it through all in, in one hit, but to kind of maybe come back to it, uh, pick it up and put it down and pick it up again. There's a lot about it to kind of keep your interest and wanting, you know, for you to come back and, and continue and come back to the game.
3: What do you think, Sean? Any any points from Jerry, though?
2: No, I think he's pretty much, uh, that, that, that's almost like an excellent companion piece to, you know, the, the past sort of hour of discussion, really. It's kind of summarized in in a, in a really wonderful way. And you know what? Shout out to you, Jerry, because you know you and Nick, you really are sort of. I, I would be happy to say you guys are the ambassadors of guidance in the community. You know the, the infectious enthusiasm you you both have for this title. You know, and why and why shouldn't it have? I, I, that that maybe that maybe sounded started off disingenuous, but it absolutely wasn't. Every, every game deserves to be valid in this series, irrespective of what. Uh, apart from Umbrella Court, fuck that game. Just about- <laughs> I was so, just about um, to say, but yeah, you know. Um, even
0: though some have suggested those, those are umbrellas, playing grounds, and in yeah. fact, it's canon.
2: There's enough merit in Gaiden, I think, for it to be, you know, discussed and accepted. Even, even in its non-canon status, as we've pretty much ascertained, it it, yeah. it ultimately is. The fact that it provokes a discussion puts it up higher than other games in the series. In in a really weird roundabout way.
3: That leads nicely on to our kind of final thoughts. And Sean, I I, I, I almost don't want to interrupt that flow, but what will we'll, we'll bring this towards a, a conclusion? What's your kind of final thoughts and 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 score?
2: Yeah, it's it it's it just a fascinating experiment of a Resident Evil title. And is it ultimately a great game? You know, there's the certainly better games. Is there better Resident Evil games? Of course, there is. It's it's just a fascinating slice. of of Resident Evil, and it's absolutely worth a go. I think it will frustrate a lot of people now looking back. You know, gaming's moved on a lot, so I don't know how valid it would be as a gameplay experience to a lot of, uh, you know, I say... inverted commas with my fingers you know modern gamers and things like that i don't know how valid the game is in today's landscape but if you appreciate retro gaming if you want a slice of history re history that doesn't usually get spoken about a lot then it you know it's, it's totally worth your time to even just have a look at it and as a game i'd probably like sorry nick i'd probably have to give it somewhere within the region of like a five Mm. it's fine for its hardware but you know even even as a retro game looking back there's better retro games if that makes sense
1: Rombie, i think it's a very good curio for a lot of people and i think for people who have never tried it if they can get a chance to try it they'll be interested they may not finish it but at least Mm -hmm. they give it a shot it's if not you should just go i I was going to say this before when sean was talking about playing it but i think at the very least you can watch long plays you can watch you know these guys playing it if you're just curious and going through it and just watching it is enough i think in some levels for people who may not want to play it i think it's it's worth investing a little bit of time and just to understand it and 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 feel free to involve yourself in the canon debate because i think that's an interesting thing in of itself not because you're going to have a strong opinion one or the other but it's just that it's an interesting cure from an interesting time in the franchise and that it could create a, a very um yeah a very interesting concept of an idea of a game and and that's and worth, worth celebrating for that after 20 years.
0: I think you're going to have to invest more than time in it. I just looked on eBay, and the cheapest <laughs> – this isn't just, even in the box, just the cheapest cartridge, and there are nine bids on it. It's got one-day – and one hour left, people. This is the PAL version. Just the cartridge alone, fifty-one pounds. It's at. Yeah. Uh, out of
1: ten. Uh, <laughs> out of ten. It's hard to judge, Nick. I'm. I don't. I don't know if I really want to give it a number because I'm going to go something like a four or a five, realistically, on a on a experience. But if then, if I put it on a grade of like Game Boy games, it's going to increase its value of score. I think it's something worth experiencing. And as I said, I think something you could just watch rather than play, perhaps, if you're if you're not sure and as gt alluded to very expensively so yeah and and sean has also alluded to perhaps not so cost effective a much more cost effective ways of playing it i i i would say experience out of 10. That's george <laughs> <laughs> trevor final thoughts
3: not much more to
0: add particularly to what star said um i'm in agreement with that um you know I'm a huge fan of retro gaming uh right like, you know it you can find better examples even in the genre but but particularly mindful of the platform it was on the 8 bit restrictions uh reviewing it you know in in a context of its age i think too many reviewers aren't doing that and, and, and don't do that particularly with this and with dead aim um, I've got to, I would always, I've got to give it a six and a half.
3: Interesting. Interesting. I agree. I, I agree. I, I, I think it is a hard game to review. As I said, it, it, it's not as if it came out early in the Game Boy's Colors lifespan either, you know, kind of life cycle is right at the end. So it pushed the hardware, but it still, it felt, I say it felt a bit dated at the time just because we, you know, the world was slightly moving on, but so it is hard to judge. And, and review, but in in its own little world, you know what i find it I find it fine I find it inter- I find the storyline very interesting I, I i the story behind Guiden is, is fascinating and if if, if you google uh, retro review uh, retro review magazine get Guiden Tim hull I think it's on Biohaze as well. have a look at the interview they did with him it's it's really interesting uh, just about the development life cycle of the game and you know a lot of love was poured into it it's frustrating sean is absolutely right it's a bloody hard game and i, I always tell people to perhaps know where you've got to go because there's there's annoying parts like you know zombies carry en- uh, weapons uh, and ammunition but not all of them are worth taking out some of them hold key items and if you don't know which one holds the key item you could be going around and there's things like respawning enemies which is just a pain up the bum it really is i mean it's bad enough in outbreak and um, it does punish you this game, if you do not know where you are going
2: yeah just just to briefly cut in nick i I just will just say from our playthrough as well i don't usually support the idea of playing through a game or a new experience with a guide i would make an exception with this one as i think your enjoyment and your value toward the game will be infinitely enhanced just going through it with a guide it's it's
3: right. true because there's so much backtracking you normally have to get a key which you know which takes you from the one end of the boat to the other the end of the boat and then back again it's just frustrating and and there's ways to kind of skip around it and sometimes guides are quite helpful but other than that as i said i I really like it I personally put it in my in my own head canon timeline even though it's a non canonical title it it adds to me, it adds quite a lot of story, relevant storyline information that helps flesh out what Barry and Neil were up to. So I'd, I'd, I'd entirely agree with your score, George. Six and a half out of ten for me as well. So that does finish our Gaiden uh, podcast. It's been wonderful to be able to go through it. We've now ticked off every every main game in the series. Uh, it's only taken ten years, bless us, but we, 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 we have done it. So on that note, we now turn our attention to this podcast edition of Neptune's Biohazard Quiz.
2: Twenty-five years of Resident Evil.
3: Ten years of the Resident Evil podcast. Expert knowledge is needed
2: in what we call the quiz.
0: This was my only opportunity for a point this
2: week. <laughs> uh, I just like to announce, everybody, that uh, this is zero points for me this week. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. We've talked about the games straying too far from the origins, this Resident Evil quiz. We're now getting Spice Girls as the correct answer, I mean,
3: it's time to quit. Welcome to Neptune's
2: Biohazard Quiz.
0: <laughs> Jesus <What>? Christ, fucking <laughs> <laughs> question, is that?!
1: Start tiring.
7: and quiz.
3: Hello and welcome to Neptune's, not Batman's, biohazard quiz. We have five questions back to the standard routine. So if everyone can clear their desktops, here we go. So question number one comes from Jordan Osiris. Who leaves behind the crumpled memo on the use of the dog whistle? This is a remake question. So get your thinking caps on. I hate
0: these questions that you think if I get this wrong, I just I can never show my face again.
3: <laughs> question number two. Uh, George Trevor, you should get this one because you're the only person that I think ever sent me the, the actual answer to this how old is lucia in resident evil gaiden
0: oh god that's years ago from translate a translation of the japanese yeah. guide yes oh my god i've forgotten Shit, that <laughs> makes it even worse
3: it doesn't actually say i don't think in the in the uk manual but it's randomly in the japanese one and uh, obviously it's a kind of english game first so there we go so how old is lucia question number three comes in from aaron Z. put the three founders of umbrella in order of their age, oldest first.
0: a good question.
3: It is a good question. I I liked it. Question number four comes in from Selfish Gene. In Resident Evil 2, examining the red jewel in your inventory renames it to what? This is 1998, Resident Evil 2, the original. So if you examine the red jewel in your inventory, it renames it to what? And finally, question number five. Resident Evil Gaiden was the first game to feature standard enemies slash zombies actively using weapons. What weapons are used in... In this game, there are the five questions. Join us after this, when we'll run through those answers.
5: Good to see you, Barry. I have a mission of the utmost urgency. A new type of bioorganic weapon developed at Umbrella. Why am I suddenly English? <laughs>
3: welcome back let's see how everyone has done question number one was who leaves behind the crumpled memo on the use of the dog whistle okay george go on george, this is the, go. i think this
0: is the only one i'm gonna get right well i think so because i've read this a thousand times it's john tolman
1: john tolman okay Rombie? yeah i was gonna say jo- i had john uh but i couldn't remember the last name. just john okay uh, stars tyrant
3: well,
2: I only uh, played this last weekend, didn't I? And I believe it's Joe Tolman.
1: Point to George Trevor. What? It
3: is John Tolman. It is John Tolman. Uh, so full point to George. Half a point for Stars Tyrant for Tolman and half a point for Rombie for Tolman. It's not Joe no, I said I was.
0: John. If I'd had more children, I wanted to call them like John Tolman and Martin Crackhorn. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you can't My call God. a kid Crackhorn. Look home, please.
3: <laughs> so there we go, GT off the board. So, how question number two is: How old is Lucia in Resident Evil Guide and Star Siren uh, Fifteen.
2: Fifteen.
1: Romby? Uh I have no idea. I was going to say fourteen. Fourteen is the answer. George Trevor, what did you put?
0: Yeah, I remember when I was translating the guide. It was young. She was really young, but I still think older than I was going to say eighteen. But I'm st- seventeen then. Thirteen. Oh. Thirteen is the answer. Oh,
3: there we wow. go. Thirteen. They're yeah, 13. doesn't look it, really. It's just very old. Going awkward. well. <laughs> Going well, there we go. Question number three. So put the three founders of Umbrella in order of their age. So the oldest first. George, do you want to have a go?
0: So you've got Ashford, Spencer, and um, oh, wait, wait, Ash, uh, uh, James Marcus as well. Um,
3: yeah is that the spencer is that the order you're going in
0: oh no no i'm just trying to think no i okay, first well. had to get in my head who the three were i want to say ashford was the oldest and spencer was kind of nagging marcus and i got the feeling marcus was like the younger kind of doctor so i'm going to say then no i'm going to say spencer then ashford then then james marcus the youngest so okay. Spencer the oldest, then Ashford in the middle, then Marcus
3: the Fine, oldest. okay, I've got that, I've got that. Start starting
2: For some reason I went, and I don't know why, uh, Edward, Ashford, James Marcus and Oswald Spencer as being the youngest for some reason in my head, but I think it's wrong. Okay,
1: uh, Romby? I have no idea, so I'm going to take a complete stab and zerk at this. I'm going to go Marcus youngest. Edward, Ashford, oldest, and they would put Spencer in the middle. Well, I think
3: we've gone through all the combinations there. <laughs> that that was the was my
0: first, that's what I changed mine from. I don't think that's what it probably might be, fuck.
3: One of you is correct. Ooh. It's Stars Tyrant. It is
6: Whoa, Edward is, Ashford. Is. Do, do,
2: you wow. know, do you know the reason why I did it? It's because I, I always recall, um, I always think the young Marcus throws you off in Zero, yeah. and then when you actually get a good look at how old he is at the end of the game, or the, the Mimicry version of him, he is, like, ancient.
0: Mm. That's sort of me off. But I didn't realise Spencer, I shocked Spencer's the youngest. Question oh, wow. at number
3: four. This is a good question from Selfish G.
0: In Resident Evil 2,
3: examining the red jewel in your inventory renames it to what? I never change it. I always like to change the inventory. So people say precinct key or mansion key. I always like to change it to spade key or heart key, whatever. So this is interesting.
2: So, Taron? I will confess, I never knew this. I don't think I've ever examined <laughs> yeah. this. Um, so I've just gone for a total guess. Although I think this is an RE4 gemstone, Stone of Judgment.
1: Stone of Ooh. Judgment. Okay. Um, Romby? This is the only one I'm 99% confident about this week, and it is Virgin Heart.
0: Virgin Heart. Mm-hmm. George mm-hmm. Trevor? I'm like you, Neptune. I like to have all the names of the keys, but I've never thought to examine the jewel that way. I didn't know it had a separate name. I've never heard either of those two. I have no idea.
3: Romby is correct. It is Virgin Heart. Gosh. Well, I'd never heard that. Wow. There we go.
1: Well done, Rob. Hey, it's one of those things, because I remember playing, it must have been the demo that came out on the magazine cover that was actually the full game, but with a timer on it. And, of course, one of the first yeah. things you can do on it in that section is picking up the gems. So, of course, eventually I just looking at everything. <laughs> And I remember changing it to that, and it stuck with me because I think where well, you find the one with the liquor and all that sort of stuff. So,
3: and of course, yeah, where you where you pick it up, where you put where yeah. you put it in makes sense, doesn't it? There we go. So, finally, put question number yeah. five: Feature standard enemies and zombies actively using weapons. What weapons were used in the game by uh, by the creatures? George Trevor,
0: I've got the development sprites. I think I uh, you have as well. <laughs> um, and I can think of this one with the um, there's a crowbar. So, def- ones. Uh, uh got a crowbar. What's the other one? Fuck. You said that so you you're saying there's multiple it's
2: like George. Did did did. I'm
0: thinking I don't I thought gun It can't be a gun. Crowbar and I don't fucking know. Um oh I can't what would be on a boat? But no no I um I'm gonna say a gun, but I don't know. But definitely I think I'm certainly right with the the crowbar and I'm gonna say gun as well. Okay, Romby.
1: I have no clue. Like is, I'm guessing another handheld weapon. If there's a crowbar, there's a, probably a baseball bat or something. I don't know. I've got absolutely nothing. Absolutely, absolutely. nothing.
2: Start Staron? Well, I of course know this because through our playthrough. It, well, I, and this is an extra one, but I've got crowbar that the armed zombies wield, and when you face the captain, he can pull out a handgun and use it against you.
3: Oh, it's yeah. correct. It is. It's a crowbar and gun, uh, which uh, I was looking for. So GT, well played. You get the, uh, You get the point by virtue of a very good guess. Interestingly, he doesn't always you fire the gun. It depends how, how well you play against him. I think and how far he staggers back. He he can get out a hand. Gets, and shoot
2: you. Does, does does the captain move? Does he get close to you? Yeah,
3: I he can, can get. Yeah, he can go back yeah. and forth a bit. Yeah. So there we go. Let's have a look at those final scores. This week's winner with two and a half points. It starts tyrant. Congratulations.
2: Okay. Thank you. Thank
3: you..:. Uh, Second place with two, a very, very respectable two, is George Trevor, And in last place is Ron B with one and a half. Yay. I'm all right. We're We're the annoyed.
1: one that I was confident about.
3: <laughs>
2: I'm, annoyed about I'm annoyed about John Tolman. i so annoyed about that. That's really pissed me off.
3: So join us next time and we'll have some more questions. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for the quiz. Hope you had a good time, and of course, that does bring our podcast to a general general conclusion as well. I would like to thank Mako, Happy Smelly, and the Oracle Dragon Sunny Bauer and Hashimoto Soda for their incredible voice acting work throughout this podcast. It it was a blast to write and you know prepare, and then you've all of you have done a fantastic job with your with your voice acting talent. Uh, again, I've said i mentioned it earlier, and thanks to Padrex and Snuff uh, Softland for their youtube remixes that we've used in this podcast up next oh yes i know we're a bit late but we are going to be doing our welcome to raccoon city podcast it's not out in new zealand yet whether it comes out in new zealand we'll we'll have to see but yeah
0: no spoilers because i haven't seen it yet i'll make sure I, I need to see it before that podcast um <laughs> yes there's a couple there's a couple of odians in bristol I, I can't wait to see it i'm gonna uh,
2: maybe you're not getting it. It's all in the UK, Joghurt, the GT. You only <laughs> I hope, your only hope, is Cineworld, I think, and View.
0: We've got, no, it's, it's showing actually, it's showing that the showcase we've got. I, I checked. I think up, until, be- up until, up tu- until next Tuesday.
3: So we've got that to look forward to. We're going to, as I said, do our first ever podcast review of a uh, live action movie. Um, and we'll try and get that, Uh, done as quickly as possible as we head towards our 10 year anniversary but on that note again thank you to everyone for listening and thank you to our voice acting talent and it's goodbye for me Neptune,
2: goodbye for me Star Siren goodbye for me Rombie,
0: goodbye for me George Trevor
3: Cast, gents. Let me just tidy up my notes. It. Ah, bloody old paper cut! I'm
5: bleeding. <gasps>